I'm Peter Davison, and welcome to Nerd vs. World. <laughs> Marvellous. Thank you very, very much, sir. Hello, and welcome back to Nerd vs. World, the League of Extraordinary Nerds. I'm Brendan. I'm Spindles. And I'm Aidy. And we are very lucky today to be joined by Mr. Jonathan Green. Hello. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me. Quite (laughs) all right. Thank you very much for coming up, sir. Sorry, we're just uh, all surrounded by nerdy things. Aidy's just got back from Japan and brought us a ton of Star Wars goodies and Darth Vader chopsticks. Very cool. I have a set of Darth Maul chopsticks that actually magnetised together into his double-ended lightsaber. So... If I'm a bit quiet this episode, it's because I'm just <laughs> sat in the corner <laughs> playing with my chopsticks. Playing with his lightsaber. And no, that isn't a euphemism. <laughs> oh, dear. Off to a flying start. <laughs> as, always, uh, as always. Okay, so, this week. As usual, any stuff that people have noticed in, in the news or in, in general? Nothing that comes well, you've to been kind of currently. you've been kind of absent, haven't you? I have been kind of absent, yeah, yeah, with uh, two weeks in Japan. So unfortunately, I've been a bit of out, out of the loop, and uh, I've only had the last sort of twenty four, forty eight hours to get, get up to date, really, and bring back the game. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, I've seen a few bits and bobs because there was the the Empire Awards was on this week, which, uh, mm. in my opinion, has redressed a few of the out yeah. the, the travesties that took place at the Oscars this year. <laughs> Does anybody take the Oscars seriously anymore, other than uh, Hollywood? No, I think Hollywood. I think I think we take it seriously just because it's so annoying. Okay. Uh, it's one of those things that you can just sit and pick apart. It's a good and source of vitriol. Start, yeah, start yeah. ranting about. Did you listen to um, Kevin Smith's uh, Oscar show that he did with Jen Swalbach? I didn't actually. No. Yeah, because normally they they do. Uh, a podcast of the Oscars or whatever because it's just round the corner from where they live uh, but this time they apparently they couldn't work out how to put the closed captions on the TV so they had to keep like just recording bits in the advert breaks so it's a bit kind of staccato put together but it, it's fun to listen to but uh, no very very happy with Empire Awards so yeah. Skyfall getting some good recognition uh, Jennifer Lawrence again getting something it, well yes yeah indeed yeah. And, I think uh, there should be a feature on the show of who has Brendan fallen in love with this week? Because <laughs> <laughs> it is someone new every week. Is it, is it still her? It's still Jennifer Lawrence, oh, yeah. Right, okay, Not so April O'Neil. No. no. <laughs> for some reason, the whole Megan Fox being announced as being cast as April O'Neil kind of ruined it for me. Oh. Yeah, because it kind of made the reboot seem more real, and I don't ever want it to happen. But you can get Lego Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles now, can't you? Or it's forthcoming. Yeah, well, it's forthcoming. I, I know there's definitely a whole load of new toys because I've seen them in the window of the entertainer. Yes. So there's, there's definitely new toys on the go. Yeah. It's definitely Lego because my son's got his Lego Club magazine and he uh, was very excitedly pointing it out. Uh, <laughs> well, oh. Megan's had hers, which I haven't, I haven't, I haven't <laughs> read that yet. It's so look. Well, yeah, but they've done something weird now. I don't know if you know, well, you, you may or may not have noticed, but they've um, started giving girls and boys different Lego magazines now. Oh, no. Used to be, there used to be a Lego magazine and now they've got one that's kind of oh, slightly yeah. tilted towards girls and one that's slightly tilted towards boys because they sent a letter out with Megan's going we're going to try this new magazine but if you want the old one then that's fine just let us know and we'll send you that one because it's got they've got like Lego friends and stuff which is basically Lego but more it's pink, pink. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's done far better than they're expecting it's really boosted their sales apparently <clears throat> yeah so Hopefully that means we get more things like Marvel superheroes and. Well, absolutely, yeah, because yes. all, all, all the Marvel and DC Lego stuff's amazing. I remember seeing all that when we were in the, the big Lego store when we went to Florida 
in the Disney store in there. There was just huge displays of DC and uh, Marvel Lego. Yeah. Genius. My son's holding out for Arkham Asylum. So it's got all the different yes. references, like Mr. Freeze's cell and so things yeah, like that. They're, so. they're basing it more on the game rather than the, the, the books and graphic yeah. novels, though. Uh, it's uh, certainly how it's uh, looked on the, some of the online mm. stuff. It, they're definitely going towards the online sort of darker mm. gaming uh, genre of it. But mm. still, it looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I just bought a, a Lego DVD, which I just randomly I went into Tesco's to buy some Can headphones. And they fit in the, the DVD players. Yeah, to try it. You've got to get a special, <laughs> a you know, Lego, a special Lego, Lego DVD yeah. player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but there, there was a Star Wars Lego DVD that oh, yes. I've seen. That yes, it's I've called seen The Empire that. Strikes Out, and it's like a 20 minute animation of like following the story of Empire mm. Strikes Back but with a few weird things like apparently um, Darth Maul's still in it and ends up having a fight with Darth Vader and Luke's trying to train to be a Jedi but uh, everybody knows who he is he's trying to stay secret but he's the planet blower-upper so everyone knows who he is it's all a bit weird <laughs> Follow that J.J. Abrams <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Yeah <laughs> That's quite cool Absolutely <laughs> I mean, I love all the cutscenes in the Lego Star yes, Wars yeah. games. I, I would just sit and watch them string together <laughs> for an entire evening. I think there was there was a little brief article on Digital Spy the other day chatting with J.J. Abrams, who's giving basically nothing away at the moment. He's Funny like, enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not like yeah. him at all. No. Well, indeed, it's like, yeah. <laughs> if you've seen his films, he still gives nothing away. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen like, the, the new Star Trek Into Darkness trailer, and I still haven't got a clue what it's about, but I'm definitely going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> the trailer looks great. And I loved the trailer, but I'm kind of starting to be concerned because it just looks like a generic action film in space. It mm. doesn't look like a Star Trek film anymore. There's no sense of exploration. If it wasn't for the fact that it's got the characters, Kirk and Spock and Bones, I think it could be anything. Okay. Mm. Um, so that's kind of getting to be a bit of a worry. Uh, in much the same way, the Terminator Salvation, for example was a great action film. But yeah, but it, sh- it wasn't shouldn't have been part of the Terminator franchise. Yeah. 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 Well, I, think it's, I don't think that was it ever intended to be, was it? Because it was supposed to be a completely different character. But then I think when they got Christian Bale on board for it, he was like, no, no I've got to be John Connor, yeah. otherwise just not doing it. And so I think they had to then rewrite it so it was John Connor, which is... Yeah. I think it would have worked better as a, an action movie set within the Terminator universe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still looking forward to Star Trek Into Darkness, and I'm sure I'll still love it, and I'll go and see it multiple times. Well, they've recently <laughs> released the game, haven't they? Or it's about to be released. The, yeah, I think they've just released a PC game for it, yeah. Because that's unusual in that they've decided not to do the game of the movie. They've done the story that fits between the two Star Trek Which films. I think is great, yeah. and that, that and kind bring of builds back, the anticipation yeah. for it. I think that's a fantastic move on their part. And the, the enemy of the Gorn. Mm. Who obviously only appeared in is it Arena in the original yeah. series, which is but always appeared. I think it was like one of the stills behind the credits. So it's actually almost every episode. Uh, I, I know the Gorn when I'm playing yeah. Star Trek Online. Oh, I see. Yeah, I come over against the Gorn a lot. So. But I know they've got various different casts and different types of Gorns. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's quite ones that pick up rocks and throw them at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I play far too much Star Trek Online. <laughs> well, they're just releasing a new. Uh, Factions, because I mean, up until now you could only play either Federation or Klingon, and they're just adding a Romulan faction now, so that's that's being released in May as a new playable faction. They're releasing a new faction for the Star Wars Online as well, for Old Republic. All right. They're releasing uh, the Huts. There's an expansion called The Rise of the Huts. I'm not sure if it's a playable faction, but it's 
uh, a third member of struggling for the galaxy, mm. along with the Republic and the Empire. So, yeah. Cool. They're going to have huts in exosuits. Yeah, well, I was going to say they're not particularly mobile. <laughs> <are> they? No. <laughs> <laughs> you won't be doing much melee combat. No. <laughs> Short of maybe flattening people from high above. Yeah. As they just perch out in a PvP environment on a ledge, waiting for somebody to come underneath you. <laughs> Camp them. <laughs> Micro skiff expansions. <laughs> game news. Yeah. That's all I saw in terms of game news this week. I'm, I'm sure I've seen a lot more, but my brain's gone blank. <laughs> well, because there was the there was the independent game awards things. I think I sent you a link through for that. Do you have a look yeah. at it? But yeah, hotline. Hotline Miami, did I get mm. that one something? Yeah. Uh, FTL did, obviously. Yes, well, yeah, FTL is. <laughs> and uh, Super Hexagon. Yes. That game Which is... I do have Super Hexagon, and that's hard. Brutal. <laughs> that is a hard game. I don't know if you've ever... Have you ever uh, seen the, the, the Humble Bundles that they sell for Android or whatever? No. They're basically, what, what they do is a bunch of indie developers, they, they, they sell bundles of games for whatever you want to pay for them, and they're okay. DRM-free, and so you can play them on either Windows, Linux, or your mobile platforms. Right. And if you pay over the kind of average cost for the bundle, you tend to get extra games and stuff on it. Uh, but, there's, yeah, there's been loads of cool stuff in there, like... Uh, did you have you ever played uh, Machinarium? No. It's just like this little weird robot thing that goes on an adventure game, and it can either stretch really tall or go really small. And just goes and picks up objects. It's like a point-and-click adventure game. The mental little robots, very very cool. Because they've recently had PAX East in Boston, just come to an end. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. sort of just three days or something. Yeah. Of it. No. yeah. I know there's a huge in- indie scene there. I think they have like an indie booth, mm. so all these small developers get some clout. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the question Penny Arcade that run it, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think World of Goo got. Well, it was definitely a screenshot from World of Goo, which is a great game. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because there's a company I've done some work for, um, Tin Man Games, who have developed game book apps, and they recently yeah. had their Fighting Fantasy franchise. So they were, I think they were pushing, well, Blood of the Zombies, which was the 30th anniversary title last year, yeah. and they've done Steve Jackson's House of Hell. Oh, okay. And I think forthcoming is Forest of Doom, so any. Forest old school gamers out there. Forest yeah, Doom, yeah. I yes. remember that. Yes, I, I was actually uh, flipping through that. Go. Is that book oh three God, or four? Yeah. Three. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going, oh, I've got all these. I, I've got them in my uh, parents' attic somewhere, all, mm. all my original fighting fantasy books. I used to do it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. So, the same last week that that was probably my first exposure to role playing yeah. games. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Warlock <laughs> of Firetop Mountain? Yes. Yep. Citadel of Chaos? Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Forest of Doom, what was it for? Forest of Doom. Uh, was it Freedom Fighters? Was the Star Trek Traveller. Starship, Starship Traveller. Star, Star Trek Traveller. Starship Traveller. Yeah. 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 For some reason I thought that was a bit later. I thought it was around nine, but yeah. I just, it wasn't as good. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. No. They were in our library. City our library in Droid, which had them. Yes. Yes, I've got that one. <laughs> Death Trap Dungeon made the bestseller list in the Timeless Radolt books as well. I think they sold like half a million copies or something and that's slamming which is quite insane because yeah. <laughs> I've bought the, the game book uh, game app that you've done I've not played it yet because it's, it's kind of half oh, it sounds like a very it's, unsubtle plug doesn't well, it no, no it's not I actually, <laughs> I actually have it because I haven't got around to playing it but it's because it, it looks like the plug like is going to get much more blatant later uh, on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the plugs will we'll be get there yeah. we'll get there We'll get there later. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like it's kind of a half Final Fantasy and half kind of like magic with cards. Magic Gathering, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, well, I've done one for a different developer, which is Warlock's Bounty. 
Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's, 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 that's had a remix, my re-release. So it is, yeah, the guys developed the whole combat system using like a magic mm. card system, but within kind of a, a fighting fantasy game book. So I, I wrote yes. the content. It was a bit of a weird one, actually, because he basically was kind of developed the wrong way around, should we mm. say, in that he'd got some great ideas he wanted to put in, and he commissioned some artwork, and then it was like, oh. now we need a story to right. fit it all to. So, um, Not an easy one to yeah. No, <laughs> so he worked at it. Retrofitting yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. It was an interesting challenge. But cool. yeah, but I've done these other ones which are, don't have the card element. They still have, like, dice rolling, but right. shaking okay. your android or... <laughs> Shake your android. android. <laughs> which is, not a euphemism either. Other news was, of course, the, uh, the the sun breaking the story that uh, apparently uh, the Doctor's going to be regenerating at Christmas. Again. 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 Yeah, Don't sure. they do every year? Yeah, yeah, they do. I'm sorry, but I call, I call bullshit on that. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the BBC have been quite fairly quick to downplay it, but... Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's got. He's got to that point. He's done what three? This will be the end of his fourth season, is it, or is this the end of his third? Oh. I remember now. So we hang on. I have to think back. This is the end of his third season because it's been split. It's because it's been off air for yeah. so long yeah, that right, it feels yeah. like it longer. Gets, but I think this is the end of his third is, uh, season. This is seven B, isn't yeah, it? Is. Yeah. yeah, since the yeah. reboot. So yeah, this, this is effectively his third season, and that's kind of that. It seems to be becoming the unwritten rule amongst them now that it's you do three seasons Season and then yeah. die. <laughs> you go. Well, then, because of Moffat is such a fan, and all the references in the Christmas one to um, like the, the original Abominable Snowman mm, and yeah. the Web of yeah, Fear yeah. and with the tube map on the yeah. box, that was all brilliant. So I keep thinking, is he going to reference the Valyard? And the whole this is yes because we're getting dangerously close to that now. Yeah, because they have referenced some really obscure stuff, including things which they've made canon, which were in the, the Missing Adventures when it wasn't on TV. Mm. When Virgin put the books out, so yeah, oh the yeah the Virgin New Adventures ones, yeah, yeah, because things like um, Human Nature yeah. was first written for that, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, the, the whole Valeyard thing is it depends whether they're going to try and use the River Song blag of her supposedly giving her regenerations to him and does right, that yeah. kind of mess up the whole thing or not. Or And also, I guess, with the whole big reboot of the universe, it's kind of he can keep what he wants and he's yeah. got lots of new stuff, can't he? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure whether they're going to stick hard and fast with the rule of the 13 regenerations, but the Valeyard thing was very much that was supposed to be the 13th mm. regeneration. From uh, Trial of the Time Lord? No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. But I mean, it's, it's just everything in the news is every day. It's like stuff for the 50th, stuff for the 50th. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just can't wait. But of course, it's back on on Saturday night Saturday. anyway. So. It is. Yeah, looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm very Funnily much enough. looking forward to it. Unfortunately, <clears throat> I'm going to be missing the tabletop. Yeah. Game because that's uh, sorry, the tabletop day because that's on Saturday and not only do I have my parents and my brother-in-law around but Doctor Who's on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna have to wait and watch it on the iPlayer because I'm gonna be hosting a an event on the Saturday so I'm gonna watch it. Yes, because it's uh, international tabletop international tabletop day. Day. Playing board games. You ever watch tabletop? I haven't. I, um, it's very, Will very Wheaton, good. Yeah, it? it's Will yeah. Wheaton. Yeah. Well, I have heard about it, so now I'm thinking I should probably 
get some of the old games out for the kids. Yeah, do, do sure. watch it. It's great. Yes, I mean, they're celebrating a year of doing tabletop now because it, it, it's brilliant. They literally just film each, film them playing games and explain how the rules work and stuff. And yeah. they, they kind of, it's like any kind of game show where they kind of pause and have interviews with people halfway through and go, <laughs> like, oh, how do you think it's going? And, it's, and they do it with stuff like Munchkin and Settlers of Catan and okay. things yeah. like that. Small World, which is my favourite one, I think. I've played that game so many times since watching that episode. It's brilliant. But we'll be, yeah, we're hosting an event in Worcester at the St. Swithin's Institute. Details will be on the blog description. And uh, I think I'll be hosting two games and filming it, doing film playthroughs. And interviewing people. Yeah, and interviewing people. You're going to be a busy dude. Yeah. <laughs> so I think about 4.30 or 5 o'clock, I'm not sure yet, I haven't tied down the time, we'll be playing Munchkin Quest. Awesome. Which is the logical like, next step for Munchkin. Take it from a card game and using the old Warhammer quest <laughs> sort of idea of a tiled dungeon that yeah. you, you you create the tiles for. Had a play of that the weekend as a trial run. It's very fun. It's an awful lot of fun. And then after that, Settlers of Catan. I think we're playing that from six o'clock onwards. Just normal settlers, or the just normal. breaking out the, uh, the Star Wars settlers. Uh, just the normal settlers and just the the single single game none, none of the expansions uh, the, the expansions are very very cool but there's a surefire to win if you play uh, I think it's Knights of Catan that's just make sure you have forest tiles on your cities because they produce the paper commodity and if you have enough city improvements that paper commodity can be used to buy any resource when you don't roll a resource on your turn so essentially you can just power game all the way through there you go folks board game cheese <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first yeah. so yeah it should be fun lots of interviews uh, yeah and filming as well cool doing my thing have fun so I say, uh, apologies I can't be there I did, yeah. I did really want to be there and I was coming up with all sorts of wonderful plans for uh, getting away from the house but uh, unfortunately Doctor Who sealed the deal and yeah. I'm not going anywhere okay, that's fair enough that's fair enough I can forgive you that well, Stephen Moffat was talking about the the history of Doctor Who that's going to be on as part of the anniversary, isn't it? But is it Mark Gates? That's is Mark Gates. Oh, the, the, the Adventures in Space and Time, yeah. the, the biopic thingy. And apparently he was saying, if you know nothing of the history of Doctor Who, you'll be amazed. And if you know about the history of Doctor Who, it'll make you cry. Ooh. So, intriguing. Mm. He's not bad at sort of giving the hints, but he's not quite the showman that Russell T. Was. No, no, that's no. Feel. He's got Russell really got to put the quite a bit more flamboyant, and because uh, yeah. uh, I saw some interview where somebody said to him, "So, what's it been like, you know, working on Doctor Who that came out the fiftieth anniversary and Sherlock series three? And he went hell. But obviously, hell in a lovely way. And then he kind of turned on his, switched on his. I've yeah. got to be Mister Personality and yeah, <laughs> be very nice and enthusiastic about this. I think he's got to get the hang of conclusions as well, of, of ending a series, because I haven't been a fan of his two-season endings so far. No? No. The Pandorica seemed like the Bill and Ted ending for me, <laughs> which was like, when Bill and Ted are on stage and they're caught in the cage, oh, and they realise that, you know, yeah. we must get out of this, so there must be a key somewhere, so in the future we'll go back and put the key there. Oh, look, yeah. there's the key. Right, yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. to me, essentially how the Doctor got out of the Pandorica. Absolutely. Yeah. It was yeah. essentially... He's the Doctor, he will get out eventually, so he might as well get that, out. That all gets horribly cyclical, as Bill and Ted was effectively a parody of Doctor yeah. Who, and it's, yeah. it all goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and then... The, uh, finale, the Impossible Astronaut. The Impossible yeah. Astronaut, yeah. yeah. I wasn't overly, wasn't overly happy with that ending. I feel like the Scooby-Doo ending, let's do it again. <laughs> but... 
Well, also, correct me if I'm wrong, but we still haven't resolved about the TARDIS exploding, have we? No. Because no. I'll crack in time. I thought to begin with when he was flying the Pandora off into the exploding TARDIS, but that still feels like that's a, a plot line to be yeah. uh, resolved, resolved or yeah. <laughs> swept under the I carpet that, or that, carry on with it. It feels to me like that's been very much swept under the carpet yeah. and mm. that's that, that they've kind of gone, yeah, well, we've, just we've kind of done that. Because also fine. the whole bit with... Um, uh, Prisoner Zero, mm. Silence Will Fall, mm. and you've got things like in the Vampires of Venice, which I didn't particularly enjoy, but at the end there is that sort of hint of the, you can hear this, there's nothing. Yeah. I loved all that. And then the silence were, you know, Edward Munch's scream, except they're not, they're kind of a cult, and then it all just became a bit, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... I, mean, I, I wonder how much he plans ahead or if he just thinks I'll put this in and this sort of sounds quite cool. Well, obviously we'll some of the later. stuff he's had yeah. since the outside, yeah. the whole River Song thing, it was that was obviously there from the very yes, start. and that makes sense in its own way. I know people say, oh, I don't understand how that works, but it makes perfect sense. They're yeah. just travelling yeah. backwards. Uh, and yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. basically the time traveller's wife the yeah. other way around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that I don't have a problem with. But, yeah. but it's Doctor Who, so I still love it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Got to be the, the one I'm waiting for with bated breath is the, uh, the Cybermen episode. Yes, Neil Gaiman's episode. Yeah. 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 With the, the redesigned Cybermen. They're not cyber Cybermen, are they? No, apparently no. not, no. So I'll have to see what he does with them, he's apparently. Mm. He's making them scary again. Mm. Good. Warwick Davis is in that one as well, isn't he? Yes. So There's one called Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, yes. yeah. which I'll be intrigued to see. Because I will, because I'd like to see more TARDIS. Yeah. Well, years and years ago, um, I tried pitching for the Virgin... New Adventures, mm-hmm. and my story was called Ecalpamos, and a big part of the whole story was it was set within the TARDIS, because as somebody else said to me, surely when you go into TARDIS, it's almost like an infinite city, I think it's described in one of the books as this, so the Doctor should theoretically be able to open a door, and there's like a meadow or a lake, and he should be able to sail ships and all, because it is just so vast inside yeah. its own separate dimension, so I was kind of playing on that, so it had things going wrong, almost getting infested by a virus, so you had this kind of weird cathedral in the middle and you also had this grey lady, which is bizarre, because then they had Idris. Mm. So I kind of... That's something I was toying with about 20 years ago. Wow. Um, Yeah, because I've got to admit, one of of my uh, favourite classic Doctor Who episodes is The Edge of Destruction, which is the one that is set just in the TARDIS. It's a two-episode William Hartnell one, uh, and that's the first kind of hint that the TARDIS is more than just a box that travels through time because it's trying to warn them that the kind of reset button is stuck yeah. and that they're travelling way beyond the, the kind of end or the beginning of yeah. time. I, I think liked it in the past in the old series when they used to have like the, the secondary control room and things. That's really? kind of revisited, wasn't it? Yeah. With mm. the um the doctor's wife. Yes. Where they find when they walked into the the Eccleston set, that was quite cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah that was very good. But yeah, because the, there's the whole cloister bell thing, and the, yep. yeah, which you still hear. They don't you make did, it yeah. as clear because you used to have the doctor when it was Peter Davison. He sat in the cloister, didn't he? Yep. With the ivy, and you heard birdsong yep. and things. And Absolutely. You were that was all inside the TARDIS. And yeah, because there was also some references to back to the zero room again. Yes. In, in the recent. Yeah. And you got the odd snippet, didn't you? When David Tennant sorted out his costume, you saw his wardrobe, which yeah. was kind of this massive, spiralling room, which was. Nice. I think the one I really liked it in was in uh, the Doctor Who movie with Sylvester McCoy in his little oh, yes. drawing room, which I thought was really nice. When he was reading, was it Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. Mm. So I like that because you think, you know, if you are effectively the master of time and space and you've been around for hundreds of years, you know, you would read all the classics and then you think, what else shall I read? <laughs> <laughs> You'd read the most obscure stuff. Definitely. You've written in the Doctor Who universe, haven't you? you I have. have. I've been very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I've written... 
um, a couple of books and quite a lot of an annual. <laughs> but, um, but yes, I've written for the Tenth Doctor, and that was an adventure game book, and that was meant to feature um, Donna. It was commissioned for sort of the next round, so I got the opportunity to actually read one of the scripts before it went on on air. And then for one reason or another, the meeting, it couldn't happen. We had to reschedule it. And then by that point, they decided they were changing the publishing schedule. So they said, we like your story, but can you rewrite it to have Martha in it? Which he obviously I'd seen, so I never actually got to read the script beforehand. Um, but then I've written one also featuring, which is, they call it a chapter book, because it's basically a kid's novel. Okay. Um, but features, yeah, the Doctor, the 11th Doctor and Rory and Amy, and a bunch of Victorians, or are they, and dinosaurs. <laughs> Because I sat down, basically I was invited to pitch with this series and they said we want it to appeal to children, sort of um, upper primary, so sort of 7 to, to 12, ideally boys. So one of them was set within the 1966 World Cup. Um, and they said, you know, whatever boys like. So I thought, well, what, what do I like? Because I was just the same as when I was 7 years old. So I thought, and I was trying to be clever, I thought, they might do the odd dinosaur, they won't do lots of dinosaurs. And I thought, they'll never film anything on a pirate ship. Mm. <laughs> um, so I sent this idea off and they said, yeah, we love it, blah, blah, blah. Because it was meant to be, and this was before uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 4 came out, mm. I had Blackbeard searching for the Fountain of Youth, admittedly borrowed from On Stranger Tides because I'd read the book, um, but then meets the Doctor and a bunch of dinosaurs. But they wrote back saying, yeah, we love it, but you can't have pirates. So, because of the whole curse of the black spot. Or dinosaurs on spaceships. But that came later, (laughs) so I managed to get the dinosaurs in there. But So, yeah, I had to move it to Victorian. So, I've basically, the the first part is an homage to King Kong now, because there is a tramp steamer called The Venture, which I got away with. (laughs) So, yeah, so instead it's a bunch of Victorians looking for the Fountain of Youth, and then turns into Jurassic Park for a bit. Were you approached at all about the, um, the, the series of the children's novels that they're releasing for Doctor Who? Because doing the one. No, no, not for this lot. Um, yeah. I, I did ask my editor, but by the time I asked, they were already all booked up. They're, they're already booked. Uh, but never say never. There might be some more in the future. Yeah. Certainly, if they ask, I would say yes. Because it's like, how can you not? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, right, I'm still desperate to read that uh, Nameless City, which is the Doctor Who Cthulhu crossover. Brilliant. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd quite like to see that one. Yeah. Because. Uh, yeah, I got an extract of it that I read out on the last podcast. Was it the last one or the one before? I think it was like the well, second podcast, was yeah, wasn't it? It was a while ago. Like, I think it was like February's. Yeah. Yeah. So Cthulhu yeah. references go back a long way, don't they? Because mm. I know they made them more explicit with the new adventures. Because mm. I think they do talk about the old ones. And when you had to talk about the sort of space vampires. Mm. But in um, The Seventh Doctor, was it The Greatest Show on Earth? Yeah. With the whole circus and the gods of Ragnarok. Yeah. That's yeah. implied. Yeah. That. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt there was an implication there in Demons as well. Yeah. But yeah, so that that, that one is a, it's a second Doctor and Jamie story cool. where they find the Necronomicon, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, that, that was one you uh, brought up with the, with yeah. the Necronomicon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it does look like a lot of fun. Yeah. That does sound cool, because it's like, if you had anything like versus Cthulhu or, or with the twist of Cthulhu, mm. it's like, you can't really go wrong. Because there's a project I'm planning for at some point in the future, and I want to do a retelling of Beowulf. Ooh. as an adventure game book right. so people because obviously it's quite hard now having had the Gaiman movie yeah. which retells the story in its own way which I think the first time I saw it I wasn't too sure of it but the more I've watched it the more I love it and I think it's very clever Yeah, I and I know. love the whole bit with Grendel's mother you know is this shape-shifting demon and, yeah. Yeah. but obviously it changed the story quite dramatically so trying to do something after that it's got such a legacy behind yeah. it so I was trying to think how do you make Grendel different and I've decided because originally they're 
semi-aquatic, they live under a lake. Mm-hmm. It's implied that it's the bottom of the lake, and that's what I want to do, is give the twist that basically Grendel and his mother... Because they also mention the swimming race at the start with sea monsters and bring in the whole Dagon and... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, deep ones. Yeah, basically. Uh, my favourite so be beasties. My <laughs> <laughs> one with the hands of Tindalos. Ah, they're very good. They're yeah. obtuse angled rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> non, Non-Euclidean geometry. Yeah. Were you ever a, a role player? Um, I had a phase, because I have to say, we've mentioned already fighting fancy sort of being yeah, a gateway yes. drug. Yeah, that was yeah, definitely absolutely. for me, um, because, you know, my parents, it was unknown to them. But equally, it did sort of, the whole Dungeons & Dragons, I mean, Games Workshop was founded on having the exclusive licence to distribute them in Europe, mm-hmm. um, out of a, a bedsit, I think it was, in Hammersmith. <laughs> um, and for a lot of people, it was they'd read Fighting Fancy and then they'd get into Dungeons & Dragons. And I was an only child, mm-hmm. so it was the classic, what do you do? Oh, I'll read this to myself, or I can still do a role-playing game by myself. Yeah. And I did have some friends who into D&D, and I loved reading the source books for the ideas, and then... This poor guy, I mean, we obviously badgered him into doing it. None of us wanted to DM it we wanted to play it. Yeah. And he was rubbish at it. Um, <laughs> so oh, poor, yeah. And it was kind of like, you take your plus four sword, you roll, and it's oh. So it kind of took all the drama out of it when you could read a passage in a book saying, you know, you heft your mighty weapon, and, yeah. Yeah. which is not a euphemism. Or, <laughs> or so, um, yeah, I didn't really get massively into traditional RPGs. It was kind of the game books, and it's, it's stuck. <laughs> I, I, I myself followed that sort of suit because my brother uh, handed me down his uh, fighting fantasy novels and I was reading those while he was off with his mates playing Dungeons and Dragons. When I went to join in, they were all like, well, we're all bored of this now and mm. they kind of packed it in at the time. So I never really got into it massively myself. So I, I, I still continue on with the type of books that I read as well. It's, it's still those sort of fantasy novels and things like that that I'll get drawn in. And yeah. They have to be a very, very good one for me to read. Um, I find it very difficult to concentrate on something like that. Um, I do like some RPG video games as well, but again, that's still an element of it. It's like, it's like playing a game book because I, yeah. you know, playing by yourself, but uh, the, the nice, Batman Arkham verse yeah. games. Knights of the Old Republic, that was an awesome RPG game, and uh, Baldur's Gate, obviously. Mm. Talking of RPGs and D&D, Neverwinter? Neverwinter, yeah. Mm. Yeah, new Neverwinter games yeah. coming out. Yeah. That's an MMO. Is that the same people who did uh, Star Trek Online? They're using the same kind of content creation system on there. They've got a thing called the Foundry that they use for player-generated content. So players create their own adventures within the universe and have their own tools for creating storylines and quests. Okay, that's now up there with Elder Scrolls Online as my must-buy game purchase of this year, Then I think. I don't know if you remember an old one that was uh, the the Vampire the Masquerade game, the Mm, PC game. I never played the PC game. Because the PC game had a multiplayer online version with a storyteller interface so you could actually do an online role-playing game of Vampire the Masquerade within the confines of the computer game and you could like take over NPCs and put them around and it was actually really quite a cool system I can't remember whether that was Bloodlines or Redemption I think it might have been Bloodlines so it was a very early one because there's been two I think it was just the two PC games as far as I recall which was Bloodlines and Redemption I never, I never, very, very never came across that. Redemption was great fun. I played that series of Malkavian. It's fantastic. It's just, if you play as a Malkavian, you just like hear mental things going on in the corners and you know, walking down a street and there's a stop sign. and It just like zooms into the stop sign and you stop there. 
and then you just carry on. So it just does, the game just does all these really mental things if you're a Malkavian, like the guy on the TV starts talking to you and going, you killed those people. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and it's not worth playing as any other race other than Malkavian, it's just nuts. Malkavian was your character, wasn't it, oh, yeah, the tabletop? I've, I've yeah. always played Malkavians, they're, just, yeah, they're brilliant fun. Oh. Back on the fighting fantasy and game, gateway drug, I think for me it went fighting fantasy, and then it went to Warhammer mm. fantasy battle, and Warhammer fantasy roleplay, so I did, I did yeah. Wolfrup, and I did the fantasy miniature. Mm. I never really got to 40k, yeah. but I did. I, yeah, I, I think that, that was one of the things, I, I completely forgot until you mentioned that, it was because like... Um, I, I popped into Waterstones um, earlier on this afternoon and uh, I was going, they've got a card game of Blood Bowl. I was like, that's what I used, I, I used to play. Yeah, that's Bowl. one of the first things it's I was like. Yeah. It's Blood, Blood Bowl and um, they've got a Space Hulk uh, card game as well. Mm. Um, like, but I, I remember getting the, the Space Hulk and doing that because I was more interested in making all the little <laughs> models for Space Hulk rather than playing the game because I actually found it quite boring and going, oh, I'd rather paint them. Well, there's the new Space Hulk video game coming out yeah. Yeah. as well. So. Yeah. I remember, like, God, there was a PS2 game of that. Um, that was definitely a Warhammer 40k. Yes. Rain of Fire. Rain of Fire, yes. Various ones. There's yeah. um, Dawn of War. Dawn of War. They've done a couple it, yeah. of those. Yeah. Yeah. She's first races and they've done, um, oh, is it Battle March? Fancy Battle as well. There's also mm. the Xbox or um, Blood Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, yes. at the game station. And of course, um, Space Marine actually is the, the big one, the THQ mm. release. And yeah, the first they were all shoot. plastered all over uh, WWE because obviously THQ did the WWE games yeah. as well. So uh, watching mm. wrestling in there, it was just all God of War. <laughs> I say one of the things I love best about Space Marine is the soundtrack. Yeah. Because it's just epic that you now have a, the budget to have a proper orchestral soundtrack, and I've listened to that so much when I'm writing. <laughs> 40k stories, funny enough. Well, I mean, that, t- uh, that one of the first games to do that properly was Quake, which right. was the, the Quake soundtrack. Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor soundtrack for yeah. that, because yeah. I, I still got my disc of that, which is CD one side and game on the other yeah. side. That was brilliant. That was the, the first time that they kind of really got proper kind of musicians yeah. in to do and, uh, game soundtracks. Command and Conquer, Red Alert 2. That soundtrack was outstanding as well. Mm. well this, that's on Spotify. I was listening to that on Spotify. <laughs> so you got me thinking now, because before we started recording, we were talking about favourite films. and yeah. so, so what would be, okay, rather than your favourite, but which game soundtracks would you recommend? Because you mentioned a couple already, but any others? Well, uh, I know. Oh. For me, it's going to be quite straightforward. It's going to be the Tony Hawk game. So yeah, the, the, the first Tony Hawk had yeah. an outstanding soundtrack. Is that the one with Papa Roach and everything on that one? No, that's... Uh, that was Pro Skater 3, I think. That's, well, he's, they're on one of them, but they weren't on the first one. That was the one with uh, Goldfinger yeah. and the Ernie's. And then Burnout 3, Takedown, has got an outstanding soundtrack. That's got Rise Against, it's got Finger 11. Cool. Uh, like a lot of the wrestling games normally have really good soundtracks because the... the uh, Smackdown versus Raw ones tend to have stuff like you know, Saliva, Rise Against, Thirty Seconds to Mars, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I think for me, uh, it was the Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines because that had stuff like Lacuna Coil and things on it. It was all this kind of darker, gothier, you know, gothic metal type stuff. That's awesome. So it was all very atmospheric for the vampire type Yeah, this games. is interesting because I was immediately thinking more like orchestral scores because that's that's mm. what I listen to these days. It's like... Mm. 
I'm, I haven't got a clue what's going in the pop scene at all. Because Bezos is in the movie. Or even that. Any album I bought recently is a soundtrack of some description, mm. either from a movie or a game, and it is because that's what I work to, because I... I find lyrics too distracting. I was going to ask you yeah. about that, actually. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, mean, I, I, I tend to listen to a lot of stuff. Where I listen to a lot of instrumental stuff, which is a lot of kind of post-rock type bands, people like 65 Days of Static and Maybe She Will, which are all very much kind of... They feel like they should be the soundtrack to something, right, but yeah. they're not. Yeah. They're just yeah. they're concept albums. Yeah. So, stuff like This Will Destroy You. Yeah. 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 yeah I, um, two Steps From Hell, which have got a lot of press over the last couple of years, partly because their stuff just appears on so many movie trailers and adverts now. So having listened to those couple of their albums incessantly, every time I hear it. Um, yeah, but it, it depends on, if I'm trying to create a certain mood, if I, I know I'm really in the zone when I don't notice the music stopped, yeah. uh, or if I'm really editing something, which is, I find, because I, I overwrite, and then I have to take stuff out rather than rewrite. Mm. So to be really focused, I then don't have anything on at all. But if I'm writing an action scene, I've got my Bond playlist and recent movies just to sort of hype up the tension. And then things like the Skyrim soundtrack. Yeah, I was just thinking of Skyrim. Or more sort of mood, and that just sort of blends into the background then. But it's Because um, conversely, I used to use a lot of movie soundtracks when I was running role-playing games. Yeah. Because I, I very, very much got into tabletop role-playing to just bring it back to where mm. we were. Yeah. My brother <laughs> got me into, I think I played Blood Bowl with him, and then we got into D&D, and then I started a little Sunday uh, weekend D&D group that I ran when I was like nine, I think it was. Uh, and then um, there, was a, there was actually a role-playing club where I grew up, so that they would have like three or four games running in eight-week sessions. So right. you just go along and you'd sign up for whichever game you want to be in, and then you'd all swap round, and yeah. then you run games for that. And then we did some live games as well. And then we'd also have games that took place outside of the club, round at people's houses, and I'd run some of those as well. And I was very much my thing was about creating the atmosphere for mm. the game. So I'd always mm. have music there that was going to get people into the mood of the game, whatever it was, like stuff like Starship Troopers or Event Horizon. If I was doing kind of yeah. side Event sci-fi, one for that, yeah. yeah, that's uh, that's. Um, Orbital and Michael Kamen, a brilliant soundtrack. Uh, and then I'd also have stuff like Aliens and so forth, and The Crow if you're doing something a bit more paranormal. And so, yeah, uh, there, there is, I think there's always been a very, very good link between music and, the, and these sort of things. It's, it's always interested me. I think it's interesting as well the ones where it really does sound like a, an orchestral track and it's, you expect to listen to it without necessarily any visuals and other films which you can really enjoy and when you listen to the music without the visuals it's almost jarring at times because mm. um, I find that happens quite a lot with Danny Elfman's scores yeah, because yes. like with The Wolfman and with Sleepy Hollow yeah. there's much of it that's great sometimes it's all the dang, 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 sort of clashing strings and I'm like whoa that's just a bit too much yeah, it takes yeah, me out of, full on. out of the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the zone I actually um, chucked a link up on uh, Facebook earlier on today of, of one I randomly found of these um Two harpists. Uh, I can't remember. I think they call themselves the Harp Twins. Now they've got electric harps, um, and they've oh, done the covers, two girls. The two girls yeah. have done uh, electric harp versions of uh, sort of Metallica stuff and I made it, <laughs> and, stuff. and it actually it's, it's actually really well done. I was like. I was kind of ap- that. apocalyptica with harps. A, a little bit, yeah. It is yeah. a little bit. A little you bit heard lighter. apocalyptica? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it, it, yeah. it yeah. is kind Three of a cellists who do Metallica and stuff. Because there's also, is it the cello guys who do 
That's Apocalyptica, yeah. Oh, no, there's, or maybe they're called the piano. There's another, there's a guy, I think it's a couple of cellists. Maybe that's it then. Maybe I'm thinking the wrong thing. But there's also a pianist and they do um, almost like an overture of film score. So, so they'll, they'll rewrite it so you've got a, like a five minute piece of music which will cover the whole. I think they've done like Lord of the Rings and things like that, and mm-hmm. they work very oh, okay. well. That might be a. There's one they have, one of their YouTube videos, it's Star Wars. So rather than bows, they're playing with lightsabers. Oh, yes, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's actually one chap. And he played both parts ah, and go. put himself against himself. So, yeah, it's actually it's, it's one chap on a, on a cello. Cool. I can't remember his name for the life of me, but yeah, he actually plays a classical cello, doesn't he? And he's he's got a lightsaber instead of yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. It, it's actually the same guy. If you rewatch it, it's actually the same guy, and he's just mirrored himself, and he's played both parts. And that's called special effects, is that? It is. Yeah. <laughs> like dragged into the twenty first century. There have been quite a few because I've seen another one of a guy who was singing. He's, he plays guitar, and, and he has himself stood next to himself singing. And they sing at each other and have conversations. Yeah, but it's just him on a split screen. Yes, <laughs> yeah. There's quite a few of those. Yeah, there, I think there's a lot of that going on at the moment. It's a bit weird. Mm. <laughs> There's some great stuff with lightsabers as well being overdubbed onto things recently. There yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Princess, the Princess Bride, Bride, Bride fight fight with lightsabers. Awesome. Yeah. Well, did you see Adam Buxton's thing about the new Pope? No. Oh, you have to. Uh, it's, it's like finding a new Pope, but it's basically like it's from Star Wars. And you have the, the, the same sort of imperial march in the background, and you have planets <laughs> and spaceships going overhead and saying, and they're welcoming, and all these bizarre names, and all talking their alien languages. And then um, there's these, these nuns, and they're sort of from the download planet, and they're processing data. And as he's giving them um, the communion wafer, it goes, then they kind of walk off the next one in the line. And at the end, they're saying, he's, he picks up the chalice, which then has a massive lightsaber comes out the top of it. You've got to one out. It's very, that's, very funny. brilliant, yes. Right, well, we'll stick a link to that in the, in yeah, the vlog description. Notes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> also, cool. also, the. Uh, Jamie Lannister versus Eddard Stark fight from Game of Thrones yeah. season one, but yeah. done with lightsabers. That's really <laughs> yeah. good. That's one weird thing I saw in the news is uh, the guy uh, who used to be on Casualty and was in Game of Thrones, apparently. Uh, Clive Mantle. Yeah, had yeah. Yeah. bitten off. Didn't, Didn't they have two himself? fingers bitten off in Game of Thrones? But yeah. <laughs> I he's a bit more annoyed this time. Yeah, he was staying in some in a travel or something. something. Yeah, and he'd gone to complain about people making noise, and one guy held him down, the other guy bit his ear off. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what? Oh, yeah, <laughs> he had a bit stitched back on. He'd just come off that he'd been doing the lady killers on stage up That's there. It. Oh what? <laughs> but of course, I remember him from Robin of Sherwood. Yes, little oh, John. he was little John. Yeah, he was yeah. little John. In, in so when he appeared in Casualty, I was like, "Holy city, whatever it was." I was like, "What?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. The possessed little John as he first appears. Yes. <laughs> With a pentagram on his chest on Saturday evening to Dan Daly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was the 80s. It's never, it's never been the same since. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Robin of Sherwood. Yeah. That's a massive influence on me. Although I do see the whole 80s haircut now as a little bit. Were you Michael Prater or Jason Connery? Y- yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that's a question. Um, yeah. Like the the thing is, I think. Probably as an actor, Michael Prade. Mm. Mm. I, I, I prefer Michael Prade. But for the stories, partly because he got more of them, I think. Mm. Yeah. And, and they did bring in the whole Gulnar and like Crom Crack, which I just yes, love that right. story. Yeah, yeah. And I have referenced these things endless in my own stuff. <laughs> so for the extra content, bonus content, I'd say it was, yeah. Did you see um, Jason Connery many years later? He did a kids' show called Shoebox Zoo. No. Um, which has voices from Rick Mayles and a load of other people and Jason Connery plays like this kind of bald evil, evil magician yeah. in it and it's it's brilliant. Yeah, it's basically about uh, a little... Yeah, okay, it, it, it's, it's 
about this this girl who gets uh, a, a shoebox shoe in there. They've got little uh, kind of wooden animals that come to life and they talk to her and everything. And there's just this big kind of epic adventure about this shoebox. There's only wow. two seasons of it. It's like maybe twelve episodes. Yeah. Never, this never kids program called Shoebox Zoo. It, it's brilliant. Yeah. Really, but really are, good. Are they uh, sort of souls of people yeah. put into yeah, these put toys? Into the toys. And these toys are helping her to. Yeah. Solve this whole mystery and it's get the souls quite released. Dark stuff on kids' tables. Oh, it, it is brilliant. Yeah. 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 We saw it on TV and we were like, "Oh, got to get this for Megan." And yeah. yeah, she loved it. There's an old show called The Moon Dial. Yes, oh, that was me. Dark as balls. That was. That was. Well, Okay, that was just a very dark show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't... I think of my mannerisms. It only worked at night, didn't it? At some point, they sort yeah. of spun around. It was a time travel thing, time yeah. slip. Um, the one before, well, probably a few years before that, which I loved, was The Witches and the Grinnygog. And it's based on a Dorothy Edwards book, which I think won some children's book award. And it was published in 81. She died in 82, and the TV show is 83 or 84. Mm. And it stars a young Adam Woodyate, as in yeah. Ian Beale from EastEnders. Yeah, yeah. And there's a few other names. It was... Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of their names now, but like Anna Wing as well, who was also then in EastEnders. But as, but basically, it's it has these witches, obviously, but it was more the idea of it being pagan beliefs and pre-Christian beliefs rather than being, you know, wicked creatures. Yeah. But it's very sinister and creepy and unsettling. There's this whole bit where one of them's lost her daughter, is looking for her, and they steal a mannequin from a shop, and you. You either see this mannequin sitting in the chair, looking really odd and like slightly uh, wig skew if, or you see her from behind, and they're walking with their daughter, and she seems to move. And at one point, the kids go into this bedroom and like they snap a finger off by mistake and things, and it's very dark. But it's pretty. You can um, you can watch it on YouTube now. I don't think it's ever been released on DVD, but I only watched it like when it came out originally, and it just stuck with me. And last year, I think it was, I watched it again, and you just realise, even on poor tube, you know, video to transfer whatever um, with basically no special effects whatsoever how effective and powerful and creepy it can be and it was on at like four, four I don't, I don't think anything will ever be as creepy as the original stop motion Moomins did you ever <laughs> I, I loved that that was creepy that, well, did, well, that white thing. thing was terrifying <laughs> oh do you mean the Hattie Fatners yeah, yeah they scared yeah. the crap they, out of me when they I was scared me when my dad read the stories to me <laughs> and the, um, the Hobgoblin's yeah, hat it yeah. was terrifying it was Moomins but then it did come from Norway. Yeah. I think it's dark for about six months a year, so it's going to come from... Yeah, it's, that's why. Isn't, isn't there talk of a Moomin movie? <laughs> really? Yeah. Yes. Because I, I know yeah. they came back and they did it as an animated um, cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not 100% on it, but I think... It, it's not going to be a, a, a live sort of action. I think Studio Ghibli's got involved there somewhere. Yeah. That would kind of suit their animation yeah, it style. Does, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, they certainly have a lot of Moomin stuff at the moment in the Studio Ghibli stores out in Japan, okay. and they're they're big fans of it. Um, so I think the Studio Ghibli are in negotiations. That would make from, a lot of sense. From from what I can pick up, but it's. Yeah. Hmm. What else is there? Children of the Stones. See, I'm, getting, I'm showing my age now. These are all like seventies. Well, no, there was that one that was somebody posted the other day. It was um, Knights of God. Yes, I that, remember that watching was, that. that. That was one of the first books I had ever a bought twist. at a school book fair. That had people going properly mad and yeah, all sorts yeah. of search for the the guy sent to to hunt down the descendant of the British throne, basically. Yep. But 
Yeah, if you get to see it, you should. It's, it's very good. Yeah, that was a very good show. Oh, Had lots of helicopters in there, I remember. Hey. <laughs> That's before my time, I think. Yeah, well, I think that was probably about 82 or 83. Um, Probably. I know Children of the Stones was in the 70s, so that's, that's yeah. all filmed down to Avery. I remember, I remember really stuff from 83. Yeah. I would only have been three years old, but I do remember the tripods mm. terrifying the crap. Oh, yeah, I used, to, I, used to love, I used to love that one. But, the um, tripods terrified the it, shit out of me. Was, sorry, they were scary as hell. I've recently <laughs> reread the trilogy because I wrote a piece in it for SFX magazine. Oh. Um, but yeah, my, my introduction to it was TV. And also on Blue Peter, they had a whole bit about. How they, how they did the special effects, which the Quantor paint box. Mm. There only, like, two in the country, and the BBC had one of them to get... And the weathermen were using it, so they had to kind of have these weird times of day when they could use you know, the effectively proto-computer-generated effects. But I, I love those. But they're very... They diverge massively from the books, and I have no idea why. There's a one, one where they go off, like, for multiple episodes, pressing grapes in a farm or off on a barge, which are kind of passing references in the book. Yeah. Um, but it's a shame that they never made... The final part. They didn't finish, did they? Mm. No. Yeah, I can remember that. Very ambitious for its time as well. Yeah, yeah the whole capping bit. You know, that's a bit weird. Yeah. yeah. But I, I remember going. I think that was one of the first sort of things because I I I, I love you know dressing up and doing all sorts of weird and wonderful sort of makeup and things like that in the in the past. Makeup dresses. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> um, no, it, 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 I remember uh, actually trying to make something like that when I was back in school. You know, getting bits of cardboard and sticking tin foil on it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it was always Matt Irvin, wasn't it? it? Was the special effects guy for mm-hmm. years, and he did stuff like Doctor Who spaceships, and I think he worked on the tripods, and they'd always wheel him out onto Blue Peter. And how he made them, and yet it was quite obviously like a washing up bottle. <laughs> Spray-painted silver. Um, yeah, so he's kind of gone by the wayside. So it fits nicely with Blue Peter, then. It's yeah, true. Plastic. That's true. Yeah. And a washing-up bottle. Yeah. And if your parents are supervising, you can use sparklers as the rockets. <laughs> <laughs> Should we take a break for music? Yeah, cool. After all the chat of music, we'll uh, stick on some interval music. So. Who have yeah. we got this week? This week, we have a track from The Men That Will Not Be Blamed For Nothing... Uh, so we're going for a bit of a steampunk feel this week. Uh, so when we come back, we'll be chatting with Jonathan quite a lot more about steampunk and and the like. But uh, yeah, if you've not heard the men that will not be blamed for nothing, they're very very fun. A, a very different take on on steampunk to uh, what some other bands do. They they are basically punk with uh, some with lyrics about eighteen nineties and people like Isambard Kingdom, Brunel, and fun songs like that but yeah this this one is goggles so yeah enjoy and we'll uh, see you on the other side of it most men like their women deferential and polite but we prefer the type of girl who looks like she could win a fight dainty girls are all well and good but they can't fix your stuff a pretty girl's all right for some for us it's not enough i love the girly goggles it's goggles and does it for me you keep your girly girly girls I want a woman who's looking dirty A girl who's just been an engine Kissing with sweat and oil I love my girly goggles Pink goggles Pink goggles All the girls and looks and charm Their spirits are to win If you just want an ornament Then you serve a retin Dainty girls are well good But they can't fix your stuff Pretty girls are right But suffer for us it's not enough I love my girly goggles 
Steampunk at the Seaside this weekend, which is uh, effectively a, a steampunk version of the Sci-Fi Weekender that we all went to. Yeah, at Sands. Camber Sands, which is a, an old site of a Sci-Fi it Weekender. Is, it is. <laughs> it was the SFX Weekender, the first, yeah. first two. The first two. Yeah. 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 First two, yeah. First two, yeah. The third. Well, it was the first three, wasn't it? Because SFX the, three was still. Uh, that was yeah, prostatin. Was not, yeah. It was prostatin. Oh, sorry, that was a prostatin. Yeah. Sorry, I, 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 yeah, sorry. I thought you meant SFX were only involved in one and two. Oh, no. Crossed wires. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, Robert Rankin and everyone was down at that, and, and the men that will not be blamed for nothing were playing on the Saturday night. Excellent. My first ever steampunk weekend. It's becoming a quite popular thing, though. It is. It's becoming a very popular thing to do these weekends. I remember when they first cropped up, it was like about 10 years ago when I think Kerrang did a weekender. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Camber Sands. <laughs> I can't remember. I think the, the, uh, the first ever Kerrang! Weekender was at Canberra Sands, and that's kind of now you get loads of these kind of either metal festivals or sci fi conventions and things that take over a place for a whole weekend. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting way of doing things. It's it kind of as. As we've all grown up and stopped going to festivals, now yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have to go and stay in festivals. We can no. now instead go and stay in a chalet that has no heating. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh only if you're unlucky. I mean, I think I was in a tent in the middle of a field back in October. I know. Well, I got camping as well. We did Wallingford Bunk Fest and stuff, and we did. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a biker, and I, I go to lots of uh, sort of bike events. Oh, uh, okay. Involve much alcohol and, and tents. To do it properly. Sort of four, <laughs> 400 miles of yeah. riding, yeah. Wow. Jousting on motorbikes. Oh, yeah, motorbike jousting. <laughs> awesome. That brings me back to telly. I still watch in the 80s. Um, <laughs> the One Game. Did anybody else ever see that? The One the Game. Because oh, that was God, inspired by things like Games Workshop and mm-hmm. Mike Oldfield. All oh, right. No, and it's, no. oh, it's, 
cult DVD. Got to get it. The one. I don't want to spoil anything, but there is some motorbiker jousting. Well, oh, okay. I'll have to uh, check that one. <laughs> it, it sounds like something that they would have done on it to knockout, but with yeah. scooters. It had this fantastic yeah, an, an inflatable yeah. one. <laughs> no, it's much worse, isn't it? It has this fantastic haunting theme, which is sung in Patagonian Welsh. Wow. Wow. Which apparently is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's my recommendation. The one game. <laughs> cool. I'll check that one out. Yeah. We, do, we do unearth some real gems of uh, shows on this. It's one of the few things I'll watch again and again. Every couple of years I have to get out the, the DVD set. So there you Great. go. You're making notes. <laughs> uh, I'm checking my notes. Because <laughs> my brain's gone completely there, blank. There is one that's out on uh, one of the Discovery channels at the moment, which is called Full Metal Jousting. <laughs> and no, it, it's it's actually um, people who are horse riders or cowboys and, and things like various different countries going to this great big uh, huge ranch in America, and they're actually doing like bolt on full of bolt on armor, um, and they they compete to to win a, a, a massive uh, money prize and also to be in in the shows that these guys do. Outstanding, and it's it's actually quite a quite an amazing show. Talking of Full Metal Combat, is what you were saying, um, I finally saw the first episode say, of it? Robot Combat League. Have you seen it? Oh, oh dude, you've got to tell us what it's like. It's awesome. <laughs> it is the best worst show you will ever watch. Robot Combat League. That's yeah. on my list. Robot Combat <laughs> yeah, League. It's, it's something we, we'd heard about it. We talked about it on the very first show, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and it's Chris Jericho, the WWE wrestler, right. uh, in, uh, introducing a show which is robots that are controlled by humans fighting in a ring yeah wow <laughs> essentially uh, you, you, the teams are all in in partners and one partner wears this harness which is that fits, fits over the top and they control the, the arm movements of the robot uh, see, for a minute I'm thinking this sounds just like robot wars but, but I can see what you mean this yeah, is real steel yeah, yes, yes pretty yes, much it's pretty much real steel yeah. and rock, rock, it's more rock and sock and robots than real steel yeah. though, to be fair because <laughs> okay. they're on this uh, essentially they're, they're pushed out on a they've got like a metal stanchion yeah, behind them behind haven't them. they well, one team, can, one, one half of the team controls the upper body. The other, the other person in the team controls the, the legs and the movement. So they can wander around the ring, but they're kind of restricted. They can't really turn on an axis. They can just sort of like move left, right, and right. forward. But yeah, these things punch with massive amounts of pressure as well. Apparently, but it's brutal. It's a really brutal show. <laughs> um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> so yeah, cool. I, I I have to see it at some point. Just Sadly. No lion salts and no walls of Jericho, but you know, <laughs> kind of everything. It's definitely worth a watch. Cool. So, were you not up for going down to the steampunk by the seaside? Did you not fancy that? To be honest, there's so many things I do now. I have to ration the ones I do. Yeah. Okay. And um, no, I knew about it for a long time because it's the same guys who organise. It's the Victorian Steampunk Society, and they organise weekend at the asylum in Lincoln, yeah. mm-hmm. which is early September. Mm-hmm. And I've done the last two of those, and I'm hoping to go again this year. Mm-hmm. And having done the weekender, and I'm going to something else in Doncaster, and there's just so many that at some point I have to see my children at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, um, or my wife would have something to say about it. Yeah. Um, so I did think about it, yeah, but. I'm quite glad I didn't because it was very cold. <laughs> some friends so, who went, yeah. and, and we, I got quite cold in North Wales at the Sci-Fi yeah. Weekender. Yeah, um, it was bitterly cold on the Saturday night. Saturday night, yeah. And it feels sometimes mm-hmm. like you could almost do something every weekend. Mm. Oh yeah, and yeah. yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on. There. I have other stuff to do as well. But yeah, well, that actually ties in quite nicely. You were talking about the asylum, and that's, I believe, where you met the gentleman that you're doing your current Kickstarter project with. That's right, Mr. Tom Brown. Yes. Yeah, never met before. But um, we're in the same room, 
sort of our eyes met across a crowded, crowded <laughs> room. And I think I saw his artwork first of all, which was fantastic. And chatted to him not very much actually, but um, and he picked up one of my books and very kindly at the end of the weekend actually gave me one of his pictures, which is very generous of him. And then we just got chatting on Facebook. And I can't really remember how the conversation started, but. I mean, quite often when I meet people like that and I think, I'd love to do some work with them. So I said, how would you feel about collaborating on something? He went, yeah, up for it, love it. And then I suggested it was going to be like an A to Z of steampunk. And I hadn't really thought about the details in too much beyond that. And then I'm not quite sure the idea came from, but I said, or how about something a bit more gothic-y, where, blah, blah, blah. And he went, the second one, the second one. And I wrote it that afternoon. Uh, which right. I wish all my projects were done that quickly. <laughs> but and I, it's, it just feels like it's one of those stories I've been waiting to be told. And other books I can look back on and think, oh, I had ideas for that 10 years ago. This one, I really don't know where it came from. Cool. But then the details sort of expanded from that. So I didn't have the names. Um, it's quite hard to explain what it is without giving too much away, mm-hmm. which is a constant battle I've had with the Kickstarter because people keep yeah. saying, well, tell us more about it. It's like, or, or give us the first chapter. It's, like, it's not like that because it's a poem. And it is an A to Z. Mm. And it reads to begin with like it's a kid's poem. But it very quickly you realise it's a lot darker than that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we sent it out the, the proposal out to various publishers who were really positive about it. And they said, um, uh, Puffin Children's Books said, it's brilliant, it's not cuddly dinosaurs, we love it, but it's so dark and doesn't fit within one of the established uh, sort of marketable areas because right. you can't directly market it to kids, but then it's like these picture books, you wouldn't market it to adults. Um, so people really struggled to find it. So I mean, it's, it's hopefully opened some doors further down the line. And I, I can completely understand that. I completely agree that they do have this issue. But that was. Um, but then I sent it off to Newcom Press, Ian Waits, who's mm-hmm. a writer and editor. And basically, he phoned me up to say, well, I didn't want to put this in email, but you know, cause, um, but loved the story, loved the artwork, loved how they married together. But I can't afford to do this. And for a small publisher, the, the costs are too high for us. At which point, I said. Have you heard of Kickstarter? Um, because it is this opportunity to create these, I would say unique, but I don't want to, it might be too presumptuous to say that, but these unusual projects which are hard to pigeonhole, yeah. uh, because you can directly market it to people. But the one thing I have found tricky with this one is because there sort of isn't a history to hang it on without putting the whole poem out there to begin with, to explain to people. But yeah, it's, it's meant to appear, if you imagine things like the Gruffalo and those sort of kids' books, yeah. but more gothic-y. So you've got, like across two pages, there's a verse. So the first yeah. verse is, A is for apple, so shiny and red, but take just one bite and you'll soon end up dead. Mm. And it continues, B is for burial, when no one suspects the girl by the graveside of plan so complex. So you start to get, and it goes on like this. Yeah. So basically, Clementi Slaughter is our anti-heroine, shall we say. And it's what, in, uh, yeah, what unfolds and what happens to all the members of her family. Okay. And they have these most amazing names, but we kind of... That came later because the poem was written. So then we've sort of named the characters for the artwork. So Tom's done every single character's got their own portrait, and they're fantastic. Um, he's done as one of the rewards a full family portrait. They're all in there. Yeah. And, and it, what I love is if you look at it, there's one guy who's like standing up in the distance. You can only see him like on top of a monument. Mm-hmm. And in his portrait, he's just a bloke up on a cliff. <laughs> so Tom, Tom created all of them. I mean, I, I just said Clemency's like about 13 years old. Yeah. You know, hair tied back, and it's and it's this weird gothicy world. It's a bit like uh, when people look back on Arthurian legend. It's a time that doesn't exist. It's that kind of gothic world which never really existed, mm-hmm. but is inspired by Poe and yeah. things like a series of unfortunate events inhabited and the American Gothic painting. I, I love series of unfortunate yeah. events. Yeah. yeah, so it's born of a steampunk convention, and it's actually ended up not being steampunk at all. 
which has been a bit tricky. But it's it's macabre, it's dark, it's hopefully a bit humorous. Yeah, I think it sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd love Tom to be able to do all the rest because it's completely written, and I'd love to be able to see his artwork for it because everything he does just blows me away. Even though I've said I think we should do this in this picture, what he's done is just takes it to another level, which is why it works in this. It is a proper true collaboration. Well, we'll put the link to the Kickstarter in the Thank you. show notes. Yeah, so we're, 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 both me and my wife are very very much looking forward to it. We want to get it funded because Emma yeah. wants her books and I, I want my books as well. Yeah. <laughs> well we've got great, I've, great I've, plans. There's a launch party and things in London. I've yeah. backed it as well. We're big fans of Kickstarter here. We, I think we talked about Kickstarter on the, the end of the show. Because there's always been something on there that's caught our attention. Yeah. I, I love it. It is people being patron of the arts again rather than being told this is what's in, this is what we're going to market to you. Absolutely. Which is why, again, I think, you know, it's these unusual projects, which otherwise you wouldn't get a life. It's like, um, it's my second Kickstarter. The first one I did last year was to write a history of fighting fantasy game books. I only found this out at the last last podcast, Mm. and because Spindle said that, I was like, if I'd known, that (laughs) would have been... Well, I mean, that got funding, so um, I'm basically starting work on it over Easter, uh, with the intention I'll be ready for this autumn Christmas that's, um, that's Christmas sorted for me then and that was interesting because that is one of those books where it's a niche product it's a it, no, there's a lot it's basically a coffee table book if we can do it hardback we didn't quite get the funding for the stretch goal to do hardback but I'm going to see if we can do that um, so it is this full colour really high end people had to pay you know premium price for it yeah. and there aren't that many people so if you said to a publisher I reckon about 500 people will buy this it's going to cost this much they'd say no way Whereas Kickstarter, those people you can go to directly and they say, yes, and this is a value to me, and so much so that, you know, some people have bid to have lunch with Steve Jackson in Livingston and myself. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I think it's amazing because I, well, I, I, I backed the Amanda Palmer Grand Theft Audio yeah. album that came out, and that was amazing. I got the coffee table art book with that and everything. Mm. It's, I, I'm a, such a huge fan of Kickstarter, just I, I get to pay for stuff that I want before yeah. it's yeah. even released that and go yes that looks amazing I want that now and I've backed the Elite uh, Dangerous game yes. that's out next year yeah, I think again it attracts a certain type of person and once, once you do that mm. people because I know um, another friend of mine he says he spends a significant amount of money each year on Kickstarter yeah mm. There's all sorts of stuff on there because I mean, that's where the makey makey things came from. Absolutely, you've yeah. seen the makey makeys there. Uh, Not yet. Fun I, one. I bought one for Aidy for for his birthday. We've yet to have a play with it. Basically, you can turn anything into a keyboard with it. Oh wow! So it, it's just like, like plasticine yeah. paper. Yeah. <laughs> anything, anything that it conducts electricity. Yeah. Yes. Anything that conducts yeah. electricity because some people have made like Play-Doh control pads for Nintendo, Nintendo Wii's stuff, and yeah. stuff, and they they actually work. That's awesome. It, it's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> it, it's an invention kit. Makey makey. M a k e y makey makey. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's great fun. So we're gonna have a play with that and probably get. Like, like a video that. together. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll, we'll definitely get a film yeah, crew down to that. film something for that for sure. Yes. I mean, I've got. You know, I'd want to do more Kickstarter. I've got a couple of plans in mind. One at the moment is just me, but um, another one with a publisher, potentially. Um, but certainly, whatever happens with Clemency, I'd like to think it'll fund. I wouldn't want to be presumptuous, but we'll see what happens one way or the other. But Tom and I, the plan is to do more collaborations and excellent in the future. But the closing date for this Kickstarter is... It's the 13th, 13th of, of April. April. Because when, when I first looked at it, I thought, I misread the calendar, I thought the 13th of April was Friday. 
And because there is a rather macabre tone to it all, I've kind of played up the whole 13 is unlucky for some, which might prove to be the case if it doesn't fund. Um, but I think we've, yeah, as of today, I think it's about 17, 16 days left to, to yeah. run. And we're over 25% funded now, I think. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it's starting to pick up. It's, yeah. I, what i found is it's, it's just social media is the way to do it. But it has yeah. to get beyond your... It's when other people start messaging it and spreading it around. Mm-hmm. And uh, Geek Syndicate guys kindly let me do a guest blog post and... Uh, the author Emma Newman, who's got her new Split Worlds book out, yeah, let me do one. Awesome. And just today, having those two have gone live, we've got two new backers, and I can't help thinking it's not unconnected. Well, Emma really pushed the, was it the Nine Worlds yes. Geek Festival? She really pushed that, and that smashed through its funding target. Yeah. yeah. There have been some amazing success stories. There was one video game, I think, made three million. I think I think that was the highest thing. And there was a guy who's done a game book based on Hamlet to be or not to be and I think that's the highest grossing publishing project wow. so far uh, I think he made over half a million dollars wow that's that's pretty good going and it's certainly those sort of things like gaming seems to work particularly well so one of the ones I want to do is a game book but I think that I might try plugging as a game rather than a book mm. because I just think they seem to have quite a big following but um I'm not a businessman at all, so it's been an eye-opener. Yeah, I, I think <coughs> it's it, it's a, a great way to advertise yourself across the social media, but then you, you end up having to become a very self-publicising person, and that, yeah. that, that's very difficult. Uh, Kevin Smith talks about this a lot, because he's constantly out there, and he, he publicises himself at any mm. possible moment that he can. He's like, I've got this going on, I've got this going on. Well, it's uh, like people might not believe it, but it's, I guess I'm, the fact you've asked me to be on the show and I've talked about various things I've written or worked on, but it's not in my nature. I'm an introvert by nature, mm. so I've had to sort of force myself and teach myself to do this so it becomes habit as much as anything. And it's the first time I've ever been accused of spamming. You know, people have left groups or asked me to lay off things. I've had people stop following me on Facebook and Twitter, except that I've had far more start to follow me. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I kind of think in the end of the day, and it's, you know people don't realise but it is only me I don't have an agent I don't have a publicist if I don't do it who else is going to do it and Absolutely. it's how I make a living yeah, at the end I mean, of the day that's exactly what we do in terms of this podcast as well the only, the only reason that it works is because we go out there we go look we're doing this and we'd yeah. like to be involved in this and you know, we, we constantly get in touch with bands every week saying would you mind if we put your songs on the, and yeah. get in touch with other people seeing if you want to come on the podcast and stuff like that and then having to go to kind of end distributors of people like Stitcher and people like iTunes and getting the podcasts on there and getting them distributed and trying to push the advertising on those and uh, constantly checking stats on Google Feed Burner. It's it's tough work doing the self-promotion and I think I I was very, very much similar that I'm very introverted and kind of I would would always put stuff online but I'd never really shout about it. I'd just kind of, you know, I'll just put that there and then see if anyone notices it or whatever. But uh, I think recently, I think since we started doing this, yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of turned a corner on it and been very much like, well, let, let's just put it out there and actually mm. tell people about it and try and yeah. engage mm. with an audience. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm proud of it, so I, that's what I do, yeah. but I don't think it's a massive surprise. I don't think it'd be a total surprise to say that a lot of people in the geek and nerd community yeah. are kind of introverted, mm. you know, but that's what I love about things like The Weekender, going back to that, because they are the most welcoming places. I've never, ever had 
to anybody say a bad word or anything. Just and there's such an eclectic range of people. And have, everybody gets on it kind of because you break down that barrier of like it's almost like an AA meeting. You start off by saying, Hello, I'm a geek, yeah. that's why I'm here. And why <laughs> yeah. else would I come to North Wales yeah. in February? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, especially when there's no heating. I had, but, um, a, I had yeah. a couple of bad experiences at this weekend. Uh, okay. to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's been a few around, and I, I, yeah. I think it's something that you know it's been fed back to the organisers. And I was, see. I was playing mini golf on the Saturday before the Peter Davison panel, uh, just with the friends that I went up with, and a couple of people walking past, just saying, "Oh, look at those idiots playing mini golf." It's just like no need, yeah, yeah. yeah for that. Right? And also, I, mean, I love cosplayers, and I love cosplay, and I want to do a lot more cosplay. But at times at this event, I felt looked down upon for not being in cosplay. I thought you were going to say you felt overdressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there, there were times when I, there were times when <laughs> when I felt that because I wasn't in cosplay, mm. I, I somehow wasn't at a particular echelon of of nerddom at this weekend. But yeah. it, was only, it was only a couple of times. But for the majority of the weekend, it's funny I you mentioned actually. Time. The first time I went to weekend at the asylum, <laughs> I made sure I had my jeans and I had a smart shirt, and I was so underdressed because everybody's there dressed up to the nines, and I felt really self-conscious. And it's something I've kind of again, it's learning. People have a certain expectation. If you're being promoted as a steampunk author, you know, I turn up with at least my waistcoat, my mm. collarless shirt, yeah. and I grow a beard for the weekend because <laughs> you've never seen me in my <laughs> other garb, and without smoking jackets. In your so <laughs> Um, but now I've got the robot parrots, hopefully that'll distract attention. <laughs> Actually, it's got to a permanent fixture. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think the hoodie is more or less a permanent fixture for me. I, think. I, I dress like my son, <laughs> yes, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but yes, you have your robot parrot, which is very, very cool. Yeah, steampunk parrot. Oh, okay, does this kind of steampunk? Have you come across Fallen London yet? The Story Nexus game? I've heard of it. Online. Again, it's Emma. It was one of her posts on Facebook. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't she, seen it she said she was hooked on it and I was like what is it so I went on it and I was like yes and five minutes later I was posting on her Facebook like, yes now I'm hooked on it Emma. thank you very much <laughs> uh, just because you needed Kingdom. something else to fall in London, London. Oh, yeah okay. it's uh, kind of an interactive story which I guess kind of fits with the theme of the show yeah. uh, but the f- you build a character and the higher you level your character the more story options Okay. Are revealed to yeah. you, um, but it is one of those time farmers like Farmville where yeah. uh-huh. you can only, you can only have yeah. ten goes, and then you have to wait for your yeah. turns to regen. Or it's stuff. the old microtransaction. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, they are far too easy to carry out, aren't they? It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only forty nine p. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's only another forty nine p and another forty nine p. But it's set in a set in an alternate London. And there's demons, and it has a very sort of Victoriana feel to it, as far as I'm concerned. When I'm writing it, uh, writing it, <laughs> look at me pressing, <laughs> pressing buttons, letting the story write itself. Um, when you're engaging with it, yes, uh, yes. When I'm letting it write itself for me, <laughs> sounds a little bit uh, um, Golden Compass to me. It, it seems like it's had a bit of a steal from that. It's, oh, if it's, if it's, if take some bits from that, and it feels a lot. It feels a lot darker than, um, if possible, than possible. I was going <laughs> to say, if you actually yeah. read the read the book, not yeah. watched the TV show, <laughs> the gold, that, Sorry, the film. that film was terrible. I saw that film for free. Comparatively to to the actual books, yeah. <laughs> I saw that film for free, and I still almost walked out of it. Yeah. Have you, did you see the um, stage 
version at the National Theatre. I didn't actually because that was awesome. Yeah, and having I'd seen that before I saw the movie, and um, I think it was Patricia Hodge was cast as I can't remember the character's name now, rather than in the Nicole Kidman role. Mm. Oh, Mrs. Coulter. That's it, and it was just so much better. It was all done with puppets. It was very clever, very powerful. That sounds good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, the film disappointed me immensely. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Best not to go into that one. I I was spitting feathers at the end of it. What do you mean you're leaving it there? What about the rest of the book? It's interesting you mentioned, because we've now got onto Golden Compass and Steampunk, because um, (laughs) I think Steampunk is a very broad church. Is, and right. certainly it's it's now becoming a much more mainstream thing. I don't know if you heard about the IBM supercomputer. No. It crunched all these blogs and various things. And there was some big retail conventional meeting in America where they were told that for 2013, steampunk is, is the next big thing. Mm. Well, I've seen it creeping in over the last yeah. couple of years because we've, well, we've got in... Yeah, Claire's one. accessories have <laughs> a whole range of steampunk stuff that Megan got stuff for all of it when, exactly. when we went yeah. to... And also, you now have teenagers talking about vintage. Yeah. Yes. And oh, yeah. Uh, things like, well, Doctor Who's always been steampunk. It's been an Edwardian Victorian gentleman yeah. in a travelling yeah. box. Um, yeah. But it's become more explicit. And I think what really struck for me was in the closing ceremony for the Olympics, they said, the, the commentator said, this is the steampunk bit. Yeah. And to use that phrase in that context. So I think because it's becoming a known phrase now, people, if it's Victoriana, they'll call it steampunk. Yeah. But then equally you get this slight blurring where it's an alternate London, so people, it's just an easy catch-all now, okay, whether it is. But I, I have not played Fallen London, so I, I don't know. But you certainly got... Because I know some people say it has to be set during the Victorian times, which I disagree with, because part of it, I feel, it has to have that knowing, anachronistic element to it. Yeah. It's the future as imagined by the Victorians. Mm. Although, equally, that could be within the Victorian era. Um, but, for example, my own setting is the end of the 20th century, but it's a steampunk setting. Then you've got others which are far future... Mm. Others which, you know, take place during Victoria's reign. So. Yeah, well, it's like Firefly, yeah. I would still yeah. count yeah. as being steampunk, even and though it's not. But. The dwarfs in Warhammer Fantasy Battle, they're, they're machines. I always consider them to be steampunk. Well, they have a steam yeah. cannon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, well, the steam tank yeah. in the Empire Army, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I remember uh, speaking to a, a, a mutual friend of ours at... Um, uh, some years ago, uh, this is uh, Sophie, uh, oh, right. before she moved to Worcester, mm. so way before she moved to Worcester, um, she, she actually said to me, it's like, oh, you, you, you look really good in sort of steampunk, and this is, must have been what, 10 years ago at least, mm. um, saying you'd fit really well into the steampunk ethos. And I said, I'm not really sure about that, I'm, I'm more sort of Mad Max. And we actually discussed the different genres of like steampunk, diesel punk, and yeah. then we, was like, we came up with our own sort of genre of, of post apocalyptic petrol punk. <laughs> yeah. But, um, at the weekend at the asylum sort last of like year, Mad I was Max style. asked to help judge the um, costume competition, mm. and people go into so much effort and they create a whole persona around it or a spack story. Yes. And yeah, you've got people there where it's post apocalyptic, you've got others where it could be like late 1890s or something. Mm. Um, and also you find you get such a range because some people... There are steampunk stories which have overtly fantastical, magical elements to the point where I think... A, it's alternate vi- universe. Yeah, the Victoriana game setting, which Cubicle 7 produced, has elves and orcs. It's almost like... Um, oh, I'm trying to remember what it's Shadowrun. Yeah. 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 Oh, don't talk to me about Shadowrun, <laughs> sir. In that context. And then you've got <laughs> stories like mine where I've, I've basically said it before so it's not spoiling it for anybody, but... I decided quite early on explicitly there is no supernatural in Pax mm. Britannia. There's mad science and yeah. tons of it. There's aliens. There's things which might appear to be supernatural but then turn out to be something else. Right. And that was just a decision I made very early on. So, But it can, it's all still steampunk. So, 
I like to think of it as a flavour. That's my This was the, this term. Was the discussion yeah. that we had when we were at the sci-fi weekend. Exactly, we yeah. Because yeah. mm. you've got so many things which are recognisably steampunk, and yet mm. you could have, and I've done it myself, I've written horror stories, I've written sci-fi, I've written you know, espionage, thrillers, action-adventure, but they're all got a steampunk flavour, but they're all equally would fit within another genre altogether. So what, what was it that kind of drew you to the steampunk genre, or kind of made you go, this is the, the, the universe I want to write in? Um, I had the idea, because I, I pitched it to Baden Books, I think it was about 2006 or 2005. When they first started up, they basically sent out there was online forms and things, and one was through the 2080 website, because it's mm. Rebellion who owned both. And they said, we've got these four shared worlds, we weren't looking for authors, we're equally open to new ideas. So I sent them an email saying, I'd quite happily write for any of these, and how about this? And I wrote a, <laughs> a two-paragraph email pitch, and nothing changed from that. Stuff got added, but I even made up the name of the character, Ulysses Quicksilver, thinking I can change that later, and mm. it stuck. It just seems... That name sums up so much about what I was trying mm. to do, I think. But my influences, because I, I did find some notes the other day, which actually go back ten years before that, which had the basic plot of the first book, but with a different name for the character, which I'd sort of forgotten about. So I think, for me, it was reading things like Tim Powers, The Anubis Gates. All right, it yeah. was reading Kim Newman. <laughs> and he and I have been on the panels where we have a differing opinion on this, but um, I'm not sure how pleased he was when he discovered that Anno Dracula was one of my influences on steampunk, because I agree it's not a steampunk book. Mm. But it was definitely that, that sort of darkness. And also that, that metafictional quality where you bring in real historical figures and fictional figures and all merit, merge into the one and mm. twists on things. So I've done that. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the, the original comic. Yes. yes. Um, some, of, some 2000 AD stuff going back before that, which wasn't necessarily so. Things like it, um, Indigo Prime. Yeah, 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 yeah. So looking right. back now, these had obviously all worked away and Doctor Who and went into the, the melange. So, yeah, when I set it out, I said I want to pitch a steampunk universe. Because mm. I know lots of people... ABC Warriors kind of... Bits of it, yeah. A bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so multiple influences, but it obviously bubbled away and it was the it was right just time. And stuck, it was just, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, 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 I keep trying to figure out where it all kind of started with steampunk yeah because I mean, we were talking earlier about wild wild west that's one of the first kind of overtly steampunk films that i remember particularly the last sequence of the tarantula yeah. yes and then the, the engineers which have got metal plates and yeah yes. other parts of their bodies i mean it started with cyberpunk well and it, yes. was, and it was a joke it was a throwaway comment yeah. um kwg to put in was it letter to locust magazine 87 or something saying what what should we call ourselves steampunk yeah. because and as people like blaylock as well um with his book homunculus and they were just jokingly trying to get a name for it. And it obviously, it just started to worm its way into things. Mm. And people have this need to pigeonhole stuff anyway. So it's, well, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think there have been definite steps where it moves forward, just like with anything, with technology. So you've got things like, you know, Alan Moore, yeah. Young League of Gentlemen. Um, equally, things like the Sherlock Holmes Guy Ritchie movie. Mm. That's, yeah, that's very steampunk. Because the thing which I have issues yeah. with, certain people, I've, I've been on panels where they say, oh, yeah, Sherlock Holmes is steampunk, or Jules Verne's steampunk, or Richard Wilson. It's like, no, they're not. Sherlock Holmes is detective Holmes, mysteries, yeah. and then you've got proto science fiction, scientific romances. Yes, they've informed it, but like I say, I think you could put an HGR's character or even the man himself in a steampunk book. And I've certainly borrowed things from from his books. I've got Cavarite in mind. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a great way to explain why you've got space travel yeah. <laughs> with yeah. these vast ships and things. Um, but yeah, so there's there's been various sort of stepping stones and just that kind of vibe and it's like you say it's yeah. gradually worked its way through and what I hadn't realised because I came to it purely from literature and comics and a bit of film is the number of people who come to it purely through the costume 
through the crafting, mm. and even an element of um, actually going back to the more positive side, you said, Victorian values, because they do feel that the real world is people forgotten what good manners are mm. and etiquette yes. and dressing for dinner, yeah. and it's just wanting to better themselves. And it's interesting having been to things like Weekend at the Asylum where the books are only one small part of it. And actually people are mainly there because it's such a sociable welcoming group yeah, I think at the end of the day absolutely yeah I mean we, we had a, a Victorian garden party tea party at ours before we yeah. moved from the old house didn't we we did indeed yeah, yeah afternoon tea mm. it's lovely it's, it's, it's that kind of thing I, yeah it's very I, I'm, I'm very much a fan of it because it is very sociable and it's very polite and I, I, I very much like that kind of yeah. that kind of thing it's definitely a genre that I have to explore further I think it's part of the subculture that I haven't really experienced to any great degree Mm. there's an article in um, an SFX fantasy special which had kind of subgenres of fantasy and in that they included steampunk which is always branded as a subgenre of science fiction but I'm inclined to agree that it is certainly what I've written in my own work it's fantasy because for me okay I've said there's no supernatural but the mad science is the magic. Yeah. It's, it's the mm-hmm. plot device that lets things happen where you can use a bit of technical babbling, you don't have to really explain how this works, but it lets you do cool things. Yeah, because yeah. I, I always think the Final Fantasy games fall fairly squarely into a steampunk genre, but again, they, they always tend to have that kind of mystical or spiritual thing mm. in there, as well as the, the kind mm. of the airships and things like that. I quite like to call it science fantasy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Although yeah. my publisher says, no, you write science fiction. But, um, <laughs> yeah, science fantasy works. Yeah. It, it, it rings well with me. Uh, that actually is something I was actually going to bring up. Is something if out of the things that you've written in that kind of genre, what would you actually like to see come to fruition in reality from those? Oh wow! Okay, apart um, from robot parrots, yes, they're, they're just cool. Full stop. And they are real <laughs> they because are, yes. I have a robot Indeed. parrot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I should have brought it along. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's great. Megan had great fun playing with that. Yeah. Um, goodness me. Well, I've. I've got people living under the sea and on the moon, so space travel. Um, quite like the idea of a few robot butlers around the place. I think it could be quite entertaining. Um, that's, a, that's a good question. It's, it's almost like the uh, replicator thing you'd like to see you know, from Star Trek. You'd, yeah. you'd love to see the replicator work, and we were talking about the 3D, uh, yep. 3D, 3D printers. printers. It's, yeah. it's out now. They're actually printing like meat proteins and stuff from it. I hadn't heard that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it's one of our previous, uh, our previous previous shows. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, so seriously that, nerdy. That's on why that it, it's a continuation through yeah. our sort of podcast. And I thought I wanted to throw that one at you, going like, well, what would you actually from? Anything I, mean, I suppose that some of it is up? it's not new technologies. It's me trying to put a steampunk spin on things. Because, yes. for example, my character has a mobile phone, but it's never called that. Mm. It's his personal communicator, yeah. and yeah. it's teak, and it's brass, and it's got enamel keys. But the way he uses it is blatantly a mobile phone because it means I have then the option of he can just contact people wherever he is, yeah. yes. or, or you hope he can. Do you deal with AI at all? Uh, yes. Um, I've got, in the second book, Leviathan Rising, um, there is this submersible liner um, called the Neptune, and it has its own computer, which is a, a Turing analytical engine. Oh, so it implies oh, that he's... Because oh, one of the points is that Babbage's analytical engine worked, which obviously yeah. quite staple for a lot of steampunk stuff. But then the idea that people like Turing would then carry on that work. So that is definitely described as an AI. Mm-hmm. And I have plans for future books to, to develop that more. Because I, I always thought that would be a really good concept within steampunk and I haven't seen anybody really tackling it because mm-hmm. I, I'm very much into my AI. That's what I'm doing in my computing degree and stuff at the moment. Oh, I so I, and I do have a bit where somebody basically, because it doesn't spoil the book, but they... Um, 
sabotage the ship, and they do it by basically attacking the computer and they're saying, you know, is it time to die? Will it hurt? And so the computer has obviously gone beyond its programming to right. have these existential concerns. Cool. Uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> It's always been a recurring theme in a lot of my games is I'll tend to have an AI there in some way, shape or form. Mm. I do like them. But yeah, so I suppose to any mm, technology that doesn't exist yet, um, yeah, that's a tricky one. That you've sort of thought into fruition. Going to have to edit out a lot of silence that's now. Fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I think because I'd like to see a steampunk King Kong because that's in the latest book. <laughs> obviously not that really. That sounds pretty cool. Because um, that could, it doesn't end well for anybody. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like my hero goes through all sorts of things that I wouldn't want to do at all, and I'm quite happy just to sit down and watch telly. I don't want to go. I don't go mountain biking or anything adventurous at all. Well, so the Pacific Rim coming through. soon, which is all oh, yeah. uh, yes. yeah. steampunk King Kong. It is. <laughs> well, steampunk Godzilla, really. Yeah. Um, that looks like fun. It does look like fun. I'm looking forward to that. I have got time travel in there as well. Did but you ask James Cameron about time travel? <laughs> I, I didn't. And I, and I did. Once I dealt with it, I kind of made sure that it was out of the story completely, that it couldn't be repeated. It just gets too complicated. Although, as somebody has pointed out, how are you? Well, it'll spoil the end of one of the books. But how are you going to go back and explain how they didn't know about this beforehand? So, um, we'll wait and see. I just put it. Bill and Ted. That's what I should do. I should have somebody called Professor McGuffin who comes yeah. on and gives some. I'm writing that down as well. Yeah. Uh, Professor McGuffin can explain it away for me. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be yeah. that he just wasn't interested. <laughs> it's like because it's something that happens at his Deus Ex machine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. But there's a whole comic strip in there. There is. Yeah. <laughs> should copyright this. Uh, mm, sorry. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> we, we can always. Uh, yeah, collaborate on a think tank with this sort of thing. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely dear. no problem with that. <laughs> That'd be brilliant. Couldn't you could take all the whole yes. paradoxes and things. And <laughs> you could just uh, do do a do a real proper time travel spoof. Just spoof the entire time travel genre. Mm. At some point, you've got to have people going back and either becoming the Adam and Eve, or they're like the survivors of the flood or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's been done so many times, hasn't it? One was done, I saw with, I think in 2000 AD, Future Shock with um, Hitler and Ava Braun are the ones who yeah. become Adam and Eve. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes, I've, I've heard that. Future <laughs> Shock, I think I always remember the most, is the one about, it was a musical single that was actually uh, a mind control device. Oh, yeah, that was not that long ago, I think that was. So. Yeah. The thing I always find about Future Shocks is they're really shocking. <laughs> That's a bit controversial. Mm. I mean, I have to claim I've only attempted to write one a couple of times and it didn't get anywhere, so... Um, um, yeah, tricky business. Did you see the, uh, the, the Dread film? I did, one? I did. Reckon? I was really annoyed with myself because um, I was so looking forward to it and I went to see some late showing at a local cinema, sat down in the warm, and I fell asleep for the last ten minutes. Oh. So I stuck with it and the day noon one, it's like, oh, bugger. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, I liked it. I mean, it was it was a reinvention for the cinema. So did it was it in three D? I did. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't completely true to the comic, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I like that things like Batman can still be Batman, but exist like Nolan's movies are very different from um, like the Arkhamverse video games, which again are very different from uh, Frank Miller, mm. yeah. the comic, and yet they're all Batman and they're all great. So that I didn't have a problem with that because I thought. You know, they tried to almost 
in some ways stick closer to the comic book in terms of look with the Stallone yeah. Dread movie, mm-hmm. which it's a weird one because it gets all sorts of great reviews as a sci-fi movie, but if you anything to know anything about Dread at all, it just jars in so many ways. I mean, I think yeah. it's, there's a brilliant mean, uh, mean Machine. He's one of the best realised things in it, but everything else is just a mess. So I think it stayed much truer to the ethos of Dread. It actually made him much nicer, I thought. It He's did. Like I, it kind of more humanised. Yeah. Him. But um, the fact that you've the, you got the concept of the blocks and, I th- and the sort of the anarchy. So as a tone, I thought it was very good. And um, the, the way they used the slow mo and the three D, I thought actually the, the cinematography with the three D, I thought was stunning. And so many films, I say, they say now must see it in three D, and it's like really. And some of the time, I can't even tell it's three D yeah. anymore. Maybe that's I need new but, glasses. But dread, but, I think. It did. I think the the three D brought an, a whole extra dimension to that film that I think you would lose if you didn't see it in three D. Yes. I mean, some of those shots of just the falling rain and the glass and everything yeah. as it's coming towards you were just stunning. Didn't it win an award for three D at the Empires? Yeah, I'm very disappointed yeah. there isn't a sequel because I know there's been an online there's, there's a petition to get one there. made. Yeah, some producer recently I think said today that it's, it, there won't be a sequel, but they were talking about doing a small screen version or a, or a short film or something of it. Well, I, don't know, I know that one of my friends, Damo, was involved in uh, a Dread a kind of spin-off yeah. fan film. Because fan yeah. so. I'd love to see, because obviously everybody keeps saying, <laughs> well, if it goes well, then we'll do Death, mm. which would be oh, cool. That, I would love that. But I'd part of me thinks, in one way, how would you do <laughs> Judge, Dreth, Judge, <laughs> Judge, Judge Death. Death even, yeah, in that kind of the setting that they created for Dread? But equally, mm. if they did that well, it could be the darkest horror movie and the most effective if it was done as opposed to kind of like a, a Marvel superhero movie. Mm. Yeah, but... So less of a comic book movie and more of an out-and-out yeah. thriller horror yeah. thing. But then the only thing that's stopping those sort of films being made nowadays is ratings. Yeah. You know, to, to get a film like yeah. that, you, you couldn't push for a 12A rating. It would have to go But that was the thing, wasn't it? Dread wasn't... Uh, they went for the No, they went straight for the, yeah, the 18 rating on, which on was, Dread. And it was good because... It, it felt right. It yeah. wasn't one of these things. So many things where they say they make something more adult. I kind of feel it's not adult at all. You've got, for example, uh, some young adult novels. They're branded as this thing. And people, actually, when you're an adult, unless you want to set out and read erotica, a lot of the ins and outs of sex aren't of particular interest. No. It, it might be, it happens in the story, but it's not the be-all and end-all. It's not like a Jilly Cooper book, which yeah. all the teenage girls read. Whereas a lot more young adult novels have a lot more sex in them. Mm. And equally, it's like when they did Torchwood, which is grown-up Doctor Who, and I thought it's very immature Doctor Who. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah. let's have sex and drugs, because we can. This it was like Doctor Who written by 15-year-olds. Yeah. That that's exactly yeah. the conversation that me yeah, and Emma like and AD have had about Torchwood, <laughs> is that it was, it was essentially that the storylines were at exactly the same level as Doctor Who, but they just had the occasional bit of swearing and sex yeah. in it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, we felt it was kind of a very childish approach to what was supposed to be an adult show. Yeah. Mm. Whereas with Dread, I thought it was that was appropriate because of the subject matter they covered. It's like this is no, they are judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. And there are gangs, and this is how people you know, are violent, and this is how they control others. And... It felt like a bit of a weird crossbreed between Die Hard and Rush Hour, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> In the Dread universe. <laughs> right, but I thought Carl Urban was very good. He was. He was stunningly good yeah. at it. Yeah. yeah. He managed to get the inverted smile correct. Yes. <laughs> which is brilliant. Because yeah. I, I always saw that in the comics and was just like, how can you do that with your face? How can you make you, but your lips turn down? I just can't do it at all. It was brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, very, very well done film. 
on the subject of films, films, you have to chip in with your five films for our list. Okay. So it's just something that we've been... We we came up with it in one podcast, and we all threw our five films in the mix of what films we think everybody should see. Can we remember what each of those? I think mine... uh, Can we remember them? I can remember I had Empire Records, I had Heathers, I had Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I think I had... Did I put pump up? I didn't put pump up the volume on there. No, you didn't. No, it was mentioned. I was going yeah. to. It was mentioned. Yeah, I think I went for Empire Strikes Back, Blade Runner. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just pull up the list here because yeah. yeah. I will so, never uh, remember them otherwise. God, what was mine? Uh, Crow, Lost Boys, yeah. Breakfast Club. I yeah. think was one of them. Yeah, Young Guns Two. Yes, uh, Young Guns Two. You definitely came one. with. Yeah. This is this is amazing because obviously we had a little warning about this and I was trying to make a list and it, Bill and Ted's been mentioned already before this evening and that was the second one I wrote down <laughs> and I don't know where that came from because I haven't seen it in years but it's just because it is an out and out spoof yeah. and it is yes. like this is actually all that's wrong potentially with time travel and we'll embrace that and make it brilliant yeah. and it just has some of the best lines of the whole um, like with their graduation thing at the end mm. and about wanting to analyse um, is it Bill? I can't which one is now. Bill or Ted? Uh, They're going, oh, don't it, I've got this eatable complex. It's Bill who has it, though. Bill S. Preston Esquire. It's, That's it, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's Missy. Yeah, Missy. Sorry, Mom. So Bill and Ted's on your list. I had Moon. Moon is a fantastic film. Whenever anyone... and. I dislike Prometheus immensely. <laughs> Tagged Prometheus as being intelligent science fiction. I give him a slap and I say, no, Moon is intelligent yes. science fiction. Moon is brilliant. Moon and Primer. If you haven't seen Primer, I seen that, that is fantastic. Primer is amazing. That's, that's a time travel movie done very well, but with a lot of nigh-on impenetrable science babble at the start. Because yeah. I didn't even... Prometheus didn't even cross my mind because... Yeah. What, what I want to see, so I'm getting distracted now, no, I want to see the movie of the trailer for Prometheus. The one which yes. has um, Charlie Theron going, you know, each king has his time, and, and all the trailers and all the... It's like, that's the movie I want to see, and that was not the movie that was made. No. And, um, <laughs> like you say, the whole intelligence is just so dumb. It's, yeah. it's beautiful to look at, apart from you can't escape from the fact you've got this donut shaped or crescent shaped thing spinning around why don't you run right yeah. anyway there's just so many things <laughs> hello we're professionals we've gone in space oh just take the helmet off what anyway yeah, I'm yeah. sure I'm preaching to the converted oh, oh absolutely are, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so moon definitely and then Brendan goes to sleep at night stabbing the DVD yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what. oh god what was the the, the rope the computer in that called I've forgotten now that's awful well it was it, it was, was Mother Spacey. No, it no, was, sorry in, uh, in moon in, oh in moon Sorry. Kevin Spacey was... Oh, I can't remember. Oh, I've forgotten that. Uh, was it... I want to say Clint. Oh, I've forgotten. But that's so sinister, and to begin with, you think, and it is kind of the, the bastard child of Hal, yeah. Mm, yeah. But, but isn't. So equally on that, I'd say 2001, purely for the Hal sequence. Because yeah. mm. sure. it is a weird mix of a film, but I remember seeing it as a child and just being blown away by the fact it started off with apes. Yes. Yeah. And then you've got the guys on the moon and the whole the monolith. Yeah. Yes. And then you have this really sinister bit, and space is silent and it's very. And then yeah. the whole bizarre Star Child stuff. But I yeah. just yeah. blew my mind. The, 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 did you ever watch the sequel? Yes, I did. I really, I really yeah. enjoyed the sequel as well. Yeah. And um, and I off the back of that, I read uh, three thousand and one as well. Yeah. So yeah, I was obsessed with those for a while. 
Yep, so Moon, Bill and Ted, Monsters. Gareth Edwards. Mm. Ah. Well, he's the band who's helming the new Godzilla movie. And it's right. off the back of Monsters. Monsters he did on a micro budget. I, no, I know. Yeah, I know I've heard it's of incredible. Them, I, I think it was literally three of them. He basically filmed everything. Oh, no, sorry. It was him filming. There were a couple of producers behind it as well. And there were the two actors. And the only actual actors in the movie are the couple in the story. And they were a real couple in life and they're now married. Um, but it was just incredible. And when you watch the makeup, you cannot believe that the people who were featured in the story aren't professional actors. He filmed everything sort of on the fly, on the streets, and he did all the CGI himself. And it is so... It's basically a fantastic <laughs> love story. But it's, it's a really moving, intense film. And he filmed it out in Mexican places, and the editor was cutting it with him. And bizarrely, I met the editor at Comic-Con. Uh, no, sorry, at um, Capel last year and got chatting to him and it was just incredible but you must must watch it okay it's just, definitely that, that's, that's I have to watch, yeah. it's, watch but... it's just so incredible the, the scale and what's in that movie and just the detail of it because um, the idea in case, as you don't know is that basically there's been an alien invasion but it's more like an in, um, infect, like a like infestation a yeah, like a biohazard yes. so you've basically got this vast swathes of the Mexican jungle between there and the States is quarantined so everywhere they go, there's posters saying, wear your gas mask, don't go yeah, in this yeah, area. The, the last very the film is like the two of them stood on and like a desert thing and they've yeah. got the biohazard symbol. That's right, I, yeah, I have yeah, read yeah, about yeah, yeah, it yeah, and yeah, seen yeah. adverts for yeah. it. So now that you say it like that, I, I'm I going think I'm trying to remember that. I think the life ones are meant to come like from meteorites, so it's, you're not quite sure how intelligent, but um, it's just incredible. And oh, right. I don't want to spoil the story, but, um, but yeah, he's this guy, this photographer who uh, there's this sort of no, sport rich girl has to get back to the States and he then sort of becomes his duty to, to get her back there from his mm. boss is her dad and but it's just it's it's amazing. Let's check it out. Yeah I think that's that's the that's in the synopsis of it anyway on, on IMDB. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah monster that's three. No, no, four, isn't it? 2001. Mm. Then I was having an iron because I thought Avengers, Iron Man, but mm-hmm. I actually think I've got to pick um, a comic book film and I'll say Batman begins. Because I think the the way to try and make it as real and as gritty as possible, I think is done most effectively in that one. And just because it had things like Scarecrow, who was actually scary in that film, and so good, you know, you can believe that with the League of Shadows and the fact they've tried to bring down Gotham and and that the crime lords making much more of that rather than just the supervillains. And I thought it's so powerfully done, and you've got so much in there with Arkham and yeah, um, yeah, it's it's an excellent movie. It's an excellent, excellent, excellent show. So that joint, I have our, I have our lists here. If you wanted them. <laughs> yeah. So, AD, your list was Lost Boys, The Crow, Weird Science, oh, yes. Breakfast Club and Young Guns 2. Spindles, you had The Empire Strikes Back, Blade Runner, Princess Bride, Chasing Amy and Gross Point Blank. Oh, Gross Point Blank, yeah. And I was Alien... Empire Records, Reality Bites, Heathers, and Bill and Ted. See, you mentioned things like Lost Boys. I'd wondered about that one myself as well, and it's mm. it, it just time and it does it, it does digress time. But for me, it was one of the most iconic films. It, it was a big influence on me, a big influence mm. on my life uh, of of how I saw myself and um, kind of in in a way of fashion and and getting into motorbikes and things like that as well. Was it, that was the background for me. Have you seen, there's a, um, a YouTube mashup video where they have Keith the Sutherland's character from Lost Boys yes. and Stand By Me 
suggesting that Stand By Me is the prequel to Lost Boys. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's quite long, it's possibly over long, but it's very clever. Very cool. Because I I think they're both called David, or at least he's David, isn't he, in the Lost Boys? But it's it's very cleverly done, suggesting Mm. that that's who he was in the 50s and things, and then became... I I thought you meant the uh, the, the meme of... There's uh, Feldman in both of those as well. I don't think Feldman's in... It? It's Corey. Yes. Was it? Oh, which is which? Corey Haim. Who's oh, the one who? One divorced his parents and one committed suicide. That's right. And they're both in Lost Boys. Yeah. Because one yeah. is one of the Frog Brothers. Is it yes. Corey, Corey Feldman? Feldman. The Frog Brother. Yeah. 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 He, yes, he's in Stand By Me. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And Will Wheaton. And Jerry O'Connell. Well. Yes, and Jerry O'Connell. In his, um, yes. Yeah. Chubby days. And River Phoenix. Yes. River Phoenix. Yes, he was. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, yeah, like a lot of yours quite retro and from possibly formative times, and I've realised yes. I've picked two, well, one was when I was a student, one was when I was a child, and the other three are all relatively recent. Yeah. Well, no, there's, no. there's nothing wrong Particularly with Moon and Monsters. Like, one that I, I actually mentioned after the show, of, 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 so we, was, I, I can't yeah, believe Scanner, Scanner Darkly. Darkly. Yeah. yeah. So I've never seen that. How? It's really good. Yeah, really good. I, I, don't, that, I don't think it's come up at all yet, is The Matrix. Yeah, that's mm. r- really quite... That's Weird. interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. I think it is... How much baggage sequels, no diminishing returns, can they have an effect on things? And when you were speaking uh, about Lost Boys giving you the thing about motorbikes and everything, I was just mm. like, why didn't I say Hackers? Because Hackers was like, one of You're, the major yes. influences of my entire life. So, yeah. yeah. But we were put on the spot. Yeah. That was the point. Indeed. Because I'm looking at my list and wondering where Dayton and Confusers come <laughs> 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 Have you seen Limitless? I have, yeah, that's a fantastic film, yeah, Bradley Cooper. That was a lot better than I was expecting, it yeah. wasn't what I was expecting, but I guess it struck a chord because it's all about this struggling novelist and trying to... I haven't seen it. Uh, it's, it's a good film. Bradley... It goes off in such a weird direction, but it's... But it's, it's a sci-fi, it's, and yeah. it's quite interesting. It's about taking a drug that makes you have no... no it's it's that sort of question you used to be asked, well. isn't it, where... Yeah. You know, if you could give half of what you own now to have a, a pill with no side effects where you didn't have to sleep, would you give it up? Because the idea of what else you could do. Yeah. But it's it kind of unlocks all the, the potential of the brain. Or at least that, that kind of cod science where it yeah. says you only use whatever percent, which is probably yeah. not true. But um yeah, and then what you can do and the idea is that anything you've seen is actually there somewhere that you can un but you can't normally access it. Yeah. And it untaps all that. But then it goes off in such interesting directions. Yeah. I think Bradley Cooper just put me off. I, I saw the trailers and I liked the idea of the story, but yeah, I didn't go to the cinema to see it. But it was on TV. Yeah, I, I watched Elm Sky not long ago because that was yeah. that's kind of when Nerd vs. World started many many years ago. It started with me needing a place to vent about <laughs> slights I saw to the nerd culture, and the one that set it off, the one that tipped me over the edge, and it was like I can't text anymore. I have to write something. Was when they were looking at remaking The Crow and oh, casting yeah. Bradley Cooper. In the Eric Draven role. And I was just like, enough is enough, internet. (laughs) (laughs) Stop right there. (laughs) Yeah, so that's how Nervous as got started. It was essentially me just going, no. It's very similar to how we we started with the Eclectic Podcast. was just, you know, we we just wanted some way of of venting venting about the things that really irked us. Uh, And uh, putting things across that we had an actual genuine enthusiasm for yeah. and an interest in well, I think uh, that, musically or, or um, yeah. that's certainly how No Missable developed mm. it, was, it was about the enthusiasm it was about giving an opinion yeah. 
sort of you know brings back to to, to you, Jonathan. If, if it'd be you know that one of the things of, of you coming on the show as well is because it, it, we all have a, a we've all looked at uh, some of the stuff that you've done and looked at your Kickstarter and, and I certainly have, have, have looked at your back catalogue and, and some of the things that you've got coming out this year and I've gone well yeah I'd, I'd really like to, to read some of that yeah. stuff and it, good, it's, it's great So you, you take a lot of the boxes, boxes. of the stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. they do you do yeah. game books you do mobile gaming you do yeah Warhammer yeah, yeah. 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 So, so. I think you've written in three brilliant universes you've written in the Doctor Who universe you've written in the Games Workshop universe and you've written in the Star Wars universe as well haven't I you I have yeah mm. it wasn't a lot but I have done two Star Wars books I mean they're based on the Clone Wars and they're very much directed at kids but yeah I, I did get to basically re- rewrite the whole battle above the Sarlacc in um, Return of the Jedi, Jedi. so um, yeah in a game book format with Asajj Ventress Cool. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah. I've been mainlining the Clone Wars cartoon series at the moment. I am now into season four. It's, it's taken awesome, about. It's been cancelled. Yes. It's been cancelled on Cartoon Network. Oh, okay. uh, what what they've said is that they're not producing any more episodes for the Cartoon Network, but they have said that they have more stories to tell. Now they're already up to episode twenty, I think, of season five. So it's. Oh, I'm well behind, but the ones I've seen, I've loved. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to have to go somewhere to try and cram all those stories into the last bit of season five. So I'm imagining another season, but not on Cartoon Network. Yeah, that was, because, a, that was a weird one, that project, but I got to indulge myself. So I got to put in the, um, oh, what's it? I should know this now, the Dianoga, the sort of garbage squid. The that garbage squid from Star so Wars. I, get to, yeah, I got to put that in. So it's kind of like all the bits I liked, I cherry picked. And I said, yeah, nice. fine. Yeah, and I, I've, done, well, I've now done... Um, I suppose you could argue Fighting Fantasy as a universe, yeah. particularly yeah, if it's set within yes. Atlantis and Old World and places like Titan. Uh, yeah, Doctor Who, Star Wars, um, Warhammer and 40k. I've also written Judge Dredd. Wow. Which I snuck in through the back door oh. because the magazine has started doing text stories. And I basically sent a, an email to Matt Smith, editor, saying, sorry, Tharg, saying, <laughs> can, can I contribute one? And I thought, you know, the usual rule of, you know, you send in a few ideas and so to begin with they'll get rejected and maybe you have send in three ideas and want to be accepted. And I pitched this idea and he accepted it straight away and I sent in the story and it, he accepted it straight off. Oh, brilliant. So um, technically I've written a Judge Dredd story but it's not a comic strip. So people I know wait years and years to write Dredd and <laughs> I kind of got to sneak in. Nice. But that was an idea I'd had ages ago just that the the name was Simple Simon but spelt P-S-I. Mm. Yeah. So I managed to, to use that. Um, I've done Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Sonic the Hedgehog, Trying to think what else. But there's, I realise some of those possibly aren't quite universes in the same way. Well, I think they, I think they are. TMNT certainly. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. My most recent tie-in stuff is Moshi Monsters, <laughs> so, the Moshi verse. Awesome. <laughs> is there any universe you'd like to write in? I'd love to write Batman in some format, yeah. rather. But to be honest, what I'd love to do is write a Batman game book, mm. and particularly the Arkhamverse setting for it. Okay. Something yeah. like that would just be brilliant. Uh, I just love the darkness of it. I love the insanity, the madness, the sort of studies of that. And I think you know, the, the villains in that, certainly the ones where people like the Joker, he's, there are no superpowers. He's just completely nuts. Yeah. And you can't predict what he's going to do. And that sort of symbiotic relationship. And then to go the other way, where you have got the weird science fiction element of like Clayface, particularly in the latest iteration, I think that's yeah. awesome and creepy and dark and brilliant. So that's, that's one I definitely, definitely love to do. I think Joker's, Joker's got even creepier. Yeah. Have you been reading any of the New 52? I haven't, no. Um, I mean, a lot of... It's weird, because comics... I know 
a bit about sort of most of it. And I know enough certainly to impress my son at the moment, <laughs> but he'll probably take take over on that. Like I like Spider Man, so I'll go and see all the movies. But I'm not a massive Marvels Marvel comic person. I'm probably more DC in tone, but then equally I have issues of Superman. And I think that must be a nightmare to write because it's yeah. like he can do everything. I think it was Grant Morrison who said you have to, the only way you can attack him is by love because of the fact that he is almost that is perfect. Mm. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. Uh, whereas somebody like Batman, basically Batman and the Joker, if you keep within their own universe, they're just people. Okay, one's incredibly fit and the best detective ever and Mr. Martial Arts and yeah. you know, billionaire, playboy, all the rest of it. And I, like Tony Stark's gagging. The Avengers and ones mm. completely nuts and prepared to do anything, but at the end of the day, they're they're people and they're the yin and the yang, and that's just. Yeah. I'm not quite sure sometimes which is which. And they're not either. I think yeah. uh, I think that point's made in Killing Joke. Mm. Well, isn't it in Frank Miller's Batman? No, um, Dark Knight Returns is the whole idea that you know Batman's this sick thug who will beat people in his life but won't kill them, but yeah. he just enjoys the sort of violence yeah. of. <laughs> You know, I will beat you to death, I'll break all your bones, you'll get better, you'll break out and I'll do it again. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, one I wouldn't want to write in at all is Star Trek. And although I've watched various series and really enjoyed them, and, um, you know, I enjoy the new reboots and all the rest of the movies, but I think it's just something that's too clean about the the Federation. Mm -hmm. And it's just... I mean, it's it's weird because I suppose it is more optimistic science fiction, whereas a lot at the moment these days is very dystopian. Yes. But that's what I find more interesting. (laughs) The best science fiction has always been dystopian. It's been been dystopian since the 1890s. Well, yeah. (laughs) But for me, it's that kind of... Maybe it's because I'm very fortunate in that my my home life is very stable. You know, I had a very stable upbringing, married, children, everything's hunky-dory. So then what's interesting is the opposite of that whereas possibly if somebody's come from a background where they've got a horrible life you can understand why you want to imagine things could be better mm-hmm. but it's just it's that whole the, again the yin and yang because I've had this discussion with people before it's always quite well documented the number of comedians who are manic depressive or have some sort of very grumpy mm. and miserable in real life yeah. and have since um, doing more and more writing met more and more writers horror writers are some of the funniest most pleasant people I've ever met and it is that because it is that's the twist. It's yeah. like they're not like that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's the studying of the other. Yeah, I think I think it's the utopian versus dystopian thing that makes me pick Star Wars in the old Star Trek Star Wars mm. debate because I, I I love both. But if I was put on the spot, I think I like the dirty Star feel Wars, of Star Wars more. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, one of the aspects of it is the sort of the spiritual side. If you pretend that the prequels never happened. <laughs> That's it's, very easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> I've spent my life trying to convince myself of that. <laughs> it's not that dissimilar to Warhammer 40k, yeah. in that there's an element of there's a certain medievalism about it. Yeah. Because, you know, we have got these almost tech that you don't need to know how, or it's, it's, it's like, say, it's so old and dirty, it's just we don't necessarily have to know how it worked. And yeah. equally, the force, when it's not explained, is a much more powerful tool. It is. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, and just such a range of you got yes, you've got Coruscant where it's all very high tech, but you've equally got people living on Tatooine in mud huts effectively. Yeah, and if you go into the underwater Coruscant, yeah, you're still living yeah, in the yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all stratified society. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, are we about ready to wrap up for this week? I think we are. That's <laughs> kind of twenty to ten. Yeah. So yes, all that remains is thank you very much for coming along, John. And, uh, well, yes. thank you very much for having me. It's been great. People, get on and fund the Kickstarter because I want my books. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put the links in the description. We will indeed. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, should we get John to do the sign off, or do you want to do it? This, I, I usually did the Bill and Ted sign off. So it is take care and be excellent to each other.
Okay. So. So if we do, we just go around saying who we are, and then just if you want to finish on that, that'd be cool. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for listening. Oh, before we sign off, if you're in Worcester on the 30th of March, come along to Tabletop Day. The Facebook event will be in the show show notes as well. So sign up. It's completely free. Come play some board games with us. Go along and play board games. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening. Until next time, I've been Brendan. I've been Spindles. And I've been 80. And I've been Jonathan Green. And take care and be excellent to each other.